Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the super light tree runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. She killed me now because she had no idea I was going to do that. Happy birthday, Vic. 1850-715-996, the number to call the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Had a fabulous email in uh, just a few minutes ago about the vaccine rollout. It is a shambles at this stage, an absolute bloody shambles. We broke a story here about two weeks ago now with Wyon Stansfield, owner of Pinocchio Toys downtown, who said that his parents had been given an appointment only to turn up and find that there was no jab there for them because it hadn't been delivered. And by the end of that program, we were getting calls telling us, come here, lads, there's more than them out there. And now it's national news. It's being discussed at the uh, parliamentary parties. Fianna Fáil TDs are hopping up and down at their meeting uh, about vaccine rollout too slow in their area. And I read in the Irish Times this morning that a member of Neffet, who happens to be a Cork GP, hasn't had their consignment sent to their surgery. And we're going to kind of talk about that throughout the morning. It's a scandal, an absolute scandal. And I will read that. I will read that email in just a second. It makes an extremely salient point. This nonsense about, oh, we're only giving out what we have. We'll get more. Get up off your arse and get more. And there's another thing going on as well, where it turns out that, Asher, lads, we're only doing nine to five. And we're only doing Monday to Friday. We're only giving out a handful of vaccines at the weekend. Couldn't expect us now to work a Sunday, could you? Come on, lads, it's a crisis. Absolute crisis. Let's get jabs into people's arms, please. Anyway, we'll rant away uh, during the morning about that and many, many other things on the opinion line. But first of all, I want to go to a story that we covered in huge detail at the time. And we were uh, part of, or we got involved in, or got behind, I'm looking for the best words, a a GoFundMe to to assist the family at the time in in the wake of the tragic death of 16-year-old Kimberly O'Connor. She died a year ago. 
and the young man who was driving the car that night was uh, sentenced to four years at Cork Circuit Criminal Court. His name's Daniel Wise from Killiney Heights, Nocdehini, and he pleaded guilty. Uh, our senior news correspondent Fiona Corcoran joins me. Fiona, good morning. Good morning, PJ. This was a terrible tragedy, and uh, even as I pass it now, if I remember driving up that area, I think I think about that that poor girl. Such an, an awful tragedy. Remind us what happened. Yes, PJ, and I think to add to the tragedy was the fact that it was so close to her home at Harborview Road in Nakmahini. And uh, we heard from a victim impact statement in court from her family how they had been sitting there waiting for her to return home and they heard this massive bang outside their house. And when they went out, they had seen the car crashed into a wall uh, just across the road from where they lived. And um, they, when they discovered that Kimberly was um, the deceased person in that car. Their whole world came crashing down around them. And uh, we heard from Garda evidence in court that Daniel Wise, 17-year-old, had purchased the car on Dundeal a couple of days beforehand. And he was driving the car that night. Kimberly was in the front seat, pass- the front passenger seat. Another teenager was in the back. And we heard in court that he was doing a minimum of 120 kilometres an hour in a 50 kilometre speed zone. Mm. Um, it's a very, you know, it's a residential area. It's a very built up area. And um, he had um, at one stage driven through straight through a roundabout. He had overtaken a taxi and eventually the car hit a curb and... Um, it hit off uh, a, a box and then it hit off um, a, a wall and eventually um, it, it just crashed into the gate and, and the pillar of a house. And we heard that um, the, the, the judge, Judge Sean O'Donovan, actually said that the car resembled um, something that, like a bomb had gone off on the site, such was the extent of the of the damage caused. And um, Unfortunately, Kimberly lost her life in that uh, crash and the other teenager who was in the back of the car suffered serious head injuries and is still recovering from those injuries. And Daniel Wise, who was driving the car, fled the scene. And um, it was weeks later when he came back to Gardaí and told them what had happened. And we had heard that after the accident, he had uh, changed the details on the ad, on the dump deal ad. He had changed the seller's name and the type of of car Mm -hmm. to to cover him. So um, this all came out in court. um, And Daniel Wise, uh, he appeared via video link yesterday in court. Now, he did express a huge amount of remorse. And he said that his decision to drive the car that night uh, took away the life of his beautiful friend, Kimberly. And he Mm -hmm. said that her family's pain and grief will live with him forever and the consequences of what he did will live with him forever. And his own mother um, got up in court and said that she had never seen a child so remorseful for their actions and their thoughts are with the the O'Connor family all the time. But uh, Judge Sean O'Donovan, when he was sentencing yesterday, he said that, you know, he took into consideration the remorse, but he said he had to factor in all of the um, the factors in this case, um, all of the consequences of this case. And he said that this was a very serious incident of dangerous driving causing death, which Daniel Wise had pleaded guilty to. Mm-hmm. And um, he sentenced him to eight years, but he suspended four years of that sentence, given the fact that he had pleaded guilty, he had expressed remorse and he had no previous convictions. And he also disqualified from him from driving for 15 years. Yes. Now, Peter, as well, um, in this case, um, they're both of the, the defendant and the victim were both named. Now, 
Um, That's unusual, uh, isn't it? Because they're both yeah. juveniles. And Dr. Uh, Judge O'Donovan set aside some key provisions here. Yeah, go through that for me. Yeah, so under the Children's Act, anybody who's under the age of 18 um, is not allowed to be named by the media. But... Um, uh, and and the, in relation to the victim, that law only came in late last year. Um, it was a, a ruling made in the children or in the court of criminal appeal. Um, so he said that in relation to Kimberly, um, he had spoken to her mother, and um, Jennifer Haynes, her mother, had said that you know the case Kimberly's death had received so much publicity at the time, and Kimberly was so well known, and even when. Um, the case had first come to court, Kimberly was identified. And then the law um, around identifying uh, a victim came in to effect. So she said that it just didn't seem right that Kimberly would not be named now. And the judge agreed and he said he felt that it would be unjust for her not to be named. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, he ruled that that she could be identified in the media. And with regards to Daniel, he said that um, under the Act, uh, a judge can um, can rule to or can decide to um, identify a defendant if he thinks it's in the public interest. And he said in this particular case, because he's been disqualified from driving for a lengthy period, he said that if anybody, if any member of the public spotted him driving during that time, they would know that he had been disqualified and that they would be able to report it to the Gardaí. So he felt that it was in the public interest to name him. Okay. And that's why we were allowed to name him then yesterday. How do we? Now, how, we did, what, how is the other young man? Um, he is. He had lost um, control of his limbs after the accident, but he is working with a physiotherapist at the minute, and um, he had suffered severe um, head injury at the time, and he has no recollection of the accident, and he has got post-traumatic amnesia. So. Um, he has a long road ahead of him to recovery and he could be left with permanent injuries but um, it was you know it was a very very serious injury Um, and we did speak yesterday outside court to Jennifer Haynes Kimberly's mother Mm -hmm. and you know she spoke about how Kimberly was so full of life she had big hopes big dreams and you know the impact of this has just been devastating on the entire family she said that their world just came crashing down that night and you know it's been a year now and I suppose for any family in this situation they had you know they were grieving the loss of of their daughter their sister but they also had the court case ahead of them so the fact now that this has been has uh, finished now the court case has finished to be able to move on from this and and grieve in peace but um you could just see the devastation in them yesterday do you know it's it was just heartbreaking they spoke very briefly outside the court and and, and we have that now we're happy enough you know we got justice for kimberly today Kimberly was a child, just an unbelievable child. Had everything going for her for the future. Had dreams, high dreams, high hopes, everything. And it was all taken away from her. It gives us a little bit of peace that we got justice for Kimberly. Our lives are after being crashed upside down. We'll never be the same again. Never. She deserved to be named. 100% deserved to be named. Very important. Very important. What hopes had she? She the highest hopes anyone hopes and dreams for everything she she dreamed big big she was a superstar and she'll always be our superstar and she's shining down that's it just a very short little gathering there outside the court Fiona but you can tell that while they've got some justice they are utterly broken absolutely absolutely yes and um 
you know, they, she, um, Jennifer was there with her three daughters yesterday and um, you could see that they're a very, very close family. But, you know, to have Kim, like, you know, a sister, a daughter, so young, so full of life, um, just taken away so tragically like that, it has... You know, you can just see the heartbreak in their faces. And we had heard after Kimberly's death about the type of person that she was. And her mother spoke there in the clip about, you know, the hopes and dreams that she had. And Kimberly was um, as a student of the Terence McSweeney College up in uh, Nochnahini. And we heard that she was a, a really popular student, really energetic, really enthusiastic. And she was um, she had singing talents and she was involved in a lot of the musicals and that she had taken the lead, ro lead role in two musicals that they had put on in the Cork Opera House and she'd also been chosen by the school to go to um, Calcutta in India a couple of weeks before her death and she had gone over there to paint orphanages and she had planned to go back again when she was 18. So you know somebody like that who had such an impact on people around her to be taken like that is just you know I mean I don't think anyone could ever understand what a family is going through um, in that situation. And, you know, um, they obviously, like, they've been able to put this behind them now. They'll be able to put the court case behind them now. But, you know, they'll never get over the pain of what happened. And, um, you know, I suppose for uh, Daniel Wise's mother, you know, she was very upset in court yesterday and his siblings were there in court yesterday and they were upset. So, you know, I, I think two families in this have been have been devastated by the actions of, of what, or by the consequences of what happened that night. Um, but yeah, an unbelievable tragedy. Indeed. And I think with this family um, as well, um, that Harbourview Road, we know that over the last year, um, the O'Connor family and lots of neighbours have been out canvassing to get, um, you know, speed measures and stuff on that, on the road. So, um, you know, they've, they have been, trying to campaign for improvements in speed measures and uh, road safety measures on the road over the last year and um, they'll, they'll I suppose continue to do that as well yeah. Okay Fiona, uh, thank you for that uh, Fiona Corkin, our senior news reporter on the story, I suppose closure in some way, well closure for us and those following it but will those families ever really close the door on what happened you'd have to think that they, that they won't but young Daniel Wise of uh, 21 Kleine Heights Nocturne serving 4 years he's in Oberstown detention center 4 years he was sentenced to 8 with four suspended in a 15 year driving ban and named which as Fiona said is unusual but under the terms of the Child Care Act the judge Judge Vaughan has the right or the uh, entitlement to name him if he thinks it's in the public interest which he did yesterday and of course uh, Kimberly's family wanted her named and with the, the interpretation of the law it was always there actually that, that bit of law was always there it's not new but the interpretation of the law that is very controversial at the moment that victims cannot be named if they're, if they're children. Uh, uh, Judge O'Donovan decided to set that, set that aside as well on occasion, on the occasion, because the family wanted her named, and you can imagine why they would. 1850-715-996. Kate says, I think there should be some way that people should be educated in the result of accidents, both as part of general education and as part of rehabilitation. Kate, there is a brilliant roadshow it's one of the insurance companies that do it. Off the top of my head, I can't remember which, but because uh, I, I fronted it one year for them I, out at Rochester Park Hotel, and they pack hundreds. Remember when we could do that? They pack hundreds of youngsters 
into the convention centre for the day and they put on a no-holes-barred day where doctors and firefighters and paramedics and other people involved in the emergency services tell them about the consequences of accidents and people who've come through accidents with horrific injuries, life-changing injuries, tell them about the consequences of accidents. So the courses are out there, but still people will make decisions and decisions have consequences and sadly we know those decisions and we know those consequences. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Cork's Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here, right then. The score on Cork's 96FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sports where we focus on the Manchester Derby. Can Man U stop Manchester City's surge towards the title? And we look ahead to Ireland's trip to Murrayfield in the Six Nations. Right here, right then. Join Trevor Welch for The Score this Sunday from 2pm with Foley's Plumbing. When it comes to solving your plumbing problems, they're in a league of their own. See foleysplumbing.ie on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696 on Cork's 96FM. Coming up a bit later this morning, uh, we'll catch up once again with Dr. Gabriel Scally um, because he has been speaking up about children wearing masks in school. A lot of people are uneasy about particularly small children wearing masks in the classroom. And Dr. Scally is saying, look, if you want to keep the schools safe and open, here's one of the ways that you do it. You put masks on the kids in school. And I'll be talking to him about that and other things COVID-related after 10. But for now, I just wanted to read this email, which came into us at opinion at 96.e from Anne this morning. And she says, hi, PJ. The population of the United States is approximately 383 million. And they will be all vaccinated or at least all have their first dose by June, according to President Biden. The population of the 26 counties is just under 5 million. It's 4.7, actually, I think. Population of Cork and Kerry, uh, under half a million. Well, it's over half a million. Between the two combined, it's over half a million, probably around maybe 650,000. And very few of them fully vaccinated. Saying that we are administering what vaccine we have is a useless comment. The country is being held to ransom by inefficiency, clearly to be seen. Leo's very quiet on this. What were they doing last July when Boris was purchasing vaccine in advance? In fairness to Billy Kelleher, he did bring it up. The EU now now more or less gets away short of telling Ireland to shut up. And why is it all about AstraZeneca? Move on. Get Johnson & Johnson one-shot licensed and Cork & Kerry could be sorted out in a few weeks. We're not stupid. Regards. Yeah, a lot of people very, very unhappy with the vaccine rollout and how slow it is. And in particular, the fact that the promise was there that the over 80s or at least the over 85s would all be done by now. And people have had appointments cancelled and doctors are complaining that their 
their shipment of vaccines hasn't shown up. Like, what the hell is going on? What on earth is going on? And they say, oh, we're giving you what we have. That's not good enough. Get more. Get more. Get it faster. And stop trying to tell me that you can only get what the EU give us. Go somewhere else. People are suggesting go somewhere else. Get another source. There's got to be another source. 1850-715-996. Because people don't trust you at this stage when you say that their nana or their mummy or their dad or their granddad will be vaccinated next week. They don't believe you anymore. Anyway, to another matter to do with uh, COVID-19 and is related to COVID-19 because you'll remember at the very start of it, uh, the World Health Organization said, gave a list of people who were prone to more serious COVID-19, many underlying conditions, of course. But one of the conditions that they warned us would make us more prone to COVID-19 is obesity. And of course, we have a huge problem in this country with obesity. Now, I guess there's a difference, and I'll ask my, my next guest whether there is a difference between obesity and just being overweight. Because, look, I'm overweight. I make no bones about it. But is there a difference between being just a bit overweight, which an awful lot of us are, and, and being obese? And what's it like to be obese and to really want to do something about it but not to be able to? Mark Kelly, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Just that first question, there's most of us, I think. A uh, lot of us, anyway, are a little bit overweight. I, I know for sure that I am. But there's a yeah, difference. I, I fall into that category too, PJ. Interestingly enough, I, I'm medically classed as obese. Um, and I'm one of these people that you would look at me and say, he's not obese. No, I'm, I'm over six foot in a way, about uh, 17 and a half stone. Right. So by, by my BMI, I am medically obese. And it's so I wouldn't be able to talk for people who fall into the the, the morbidly obese category, people who are in serious um, danger. That would be that would be somebody else who would need to talk. I'm more of an advocate for the dangers of it. Mm. Um, as it now, were you surprised, Mark, when when you were told you are medically obese? Uh, yes, yes, and. And then I've had other people tell me, you know, BMI is not uh, a good indicator to base that on. But they do say that now. They do, they do say that yeah. they, they, they take other metrics now. But go, go back to yeah. that. When did you when did you first find? Uh, uh, yeah. Let me see. Um, well, I've always I've always carried carried a bit. I've always carried weight. Um, I've always been overweight. Um, so the first time I actually had my BMI properly checked, I would have been probably in my mid twenties, right. and. <clears throat> To be told in your mid twenties that your your medically class is obese is <laughs> is a shocker, uh, and it's I've I've struggled with my weight all my life, mm. and it's just, it's just one of those things. It's, it's always fluctuated, but if you were to take what um, dietitians and experts say my recommended weight is not my recommended weight's between ten stone and thirteen stone, I I would. I know for a fact I'd look terrible if I was that weight. I would look I would look physically unhealthy. You'd be the guide six foot something if you you'd be gaunt. I would totally. Um but at the same time where I'm at at the moment, I'm still not I'm still not in an ideal place. I'm not I'm not as healthy as, as I should be. Mm. Um and I, I think this is a problem, especially with men. Um 
men who who are carrying that bit of extra weight, they they can very easily fall. They can they can spill over into the into the obese category, and then the, that's that's where problems start. You know, that's where things like uh, diabetes and heart disease and you know issues issues are re- related to that. That's where they begin. They they don't they like they don't begin when you're at a healthy weight. They begin when you're at that threshold. Yeah. And when you're when you're constantly hovering around that threshold, it, as as you do get on in years now, I'm I'm coming up on forty now, so you start to think, God, what are the next what are the next twenty years of my life going to look like if I, I can't start? To you you say that you've always struggled with with your weight. How how young? Were you that you can remember your weight being being something you thought about? Um, when <clears throat> let me see, <clears throat> probably from primary school age. When I went into secondary school, I I ballooned like I I put on put on a drastic amount of weight, um, put on about three or four stone, and then it gradually slid off me as I as I grew. Um, then when I got to college when I was eighteen, then I started putting weight back on again. That was for 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 different reasons. Um, uh, I'm sure you can probably guess what they are. Uh, college lifestyle and and uh, healthy weight are not. Uh, yeah. are, pot are not pot noodle does not for a healthy body, mate. No, pot, pot noodle, pot noodle, and copious amounts of Guinness do not do not make for a good body. <laughs> uh, We've all been there, mate. We've all been there. Yeah. So I'm sort of at the stage now where. Um, I just I've been approaching totally the wrong way, PJ. I, I mean, I think, and this is a problem that um, people who are trying to advocate on behalf of those trying to lose weight. I think if the focus is on losing weight, people become obsessed with scales and they become obsessed with numbers. Yes. If people were to simply refocus it and say, you know what, this is about encouraging people to have more active lifestyles. It's about encouraging people to be obviously. With with lockdown restrictions, um, we we can't get out and be as active as we'd like to be, but there are means of ways. I mean, there's um, I'm I help uh, set up a, a dog walking group, and it's specifically aimed at men. Um, we we after the first lockdown, there was a good friend of mine. He's a social worker, mm. and he came up with the idea of uh, setting up a group specifically for men to get them out and get them active. And we and he had the idea of using dogs as a way of getting men into it. Mm. So he came up he came up with this great idea, dudes and dogs. Uh, the idea is a group of lads meet up in the Balancholic Regional Park. They meet up on a Saturday morning. And they just go out for a walk, and it's and and it's, there's no kind of health thing around it. There's no operation transformation. It's just come out for a walk. Yeah, come out for a walk and a chat. Yeah, and then see what happens. Bring the bring the dog and and yeah, yeah. and bring and bring yourself. Like yeah. go, go back to, to your own story, Mark, because I think people when they're listening to someone like yourself who's who's you know courageous enough to speak out about it now, they, they identify within themselves. So you you said that you kind of struggled with your weight, and then you went to second into secondary school, and you put some weight on, and you know what? That was probably puppy fat. We all do that. But then you went yeah. to college, and it happened again, and again uh-huh. you put it down to that. But did your weight? actually trouble you? As in, did you stand up in the morning in front of a mirror or did it dawn on you, do you know what, I really need to do something about that belly? Oh yeah, it has done. Um, and that's that's been something that's been a constant over the past 15, 20 years. Like you do look down and 
you do see you do see the the roles, and you're thinking to yourself, I need I need to do something about this. And it's um, it's not from a purely physical or aesthetic point of view. Mm. You, when, as you get older and you start to become aware of health risks, and you start to become educated about um, issues around this, you start thinking, if I don't do something about this, you know, I'm going to I could be looking down. Looking down the line, I could be looking at diabetes. I could be looking at a heart attack. Yeah. Um, I, I could be. You know, it's one of those things. I, I could, uh, I could very easily put on so much weight that I'm in a position where I can't get up and can't get it. I'm lucky enough that I am. I'm physically, I'm physically mobile. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I try to be physically, physically active, but believe me, PJ, I am. I am terribly unfit. Um, like I, I would have trouble running the length of myself, and really? that for me is is a yeah that's that's a very frustrating point. And I'm sure there's a lot of men who think for themselves I, I I'd love to be physically more, more active, um, and even from a point of view of men who are with families, you know they could be looking at the the possibility of not being able to go out and play with their kids, yeah. you know. Um, there's another the, conversation that you have with yourself. When you're when you're looking in the mirror too, Mark, that you see that which should not be there, shall we say, and uh, you and you know that you should do something about it. But the first step, and this is a mental step, isn't it? Totally. Why should I? Why should I be bothered? Um, well, that's another thing that comes out, and then because um, you you have societal pressures, and then you have people will be telling you, oh, but you know, you look fine and mm. you don't need to lose any weight and sure, men are supposed to carry a bit of weight and you'd look, you'd look, on, you'd look unhealthy. To keep it. you warm in the winter, yeah. That yeah, kind of well, nonsense. It, it might keep you warm in the winter, but when you're, mm. when, you, when you're going up, when you're going up a tall flight of stairs and you're, you're struggling and you're, you're out of breath yeah. and you're saying, and you know, you're saying to yourself, like I want to be going out for a run or I want to be going out for a cycle. And when you go out for a cycle and you come home and you're struggling to catch your breath, you said, this shouldn't be happening to a man, a man my age. Yeah. So your cardiovascular was gone as well, was it? Oh, my cardiovascular health is absolutely awful. My st- like, strength has never been an issue for me. Yeah. Uh, and as I say... You know, like if I, if I, I said to you now, Mark, stand outside the door of broadcasting house here and just start walking at a decent pace... How far would you get before you actually had to stop? Oh, I'd, I'd, like I'd be all right for a mile or two, and then I'd be, I'd be catching my breath. That's what I say, PJ. To, you know, if I'm walking down the street, you would look at me. You wouldn't see, like you would not think that I have weight issues, and you'd be people would be scratching their heads saying, "What? What's he doing? I'm talking about being overweight. He's not overweight, but the the numbers don't lie. I am overweight. I'm, I'm medically obese." Mm. And there are an awful lot of men who, and people tend to focus on. Um, uh, obviously, I say men. I say men because um, I'm, I'm more I'm more of an advocate for men's health, and I think men are men at my. We're different. Are, we're we're, we're, we're different. different. Women talk about their weight when they get together for coffee. We don't. Uh, no, uh, I mean we'll we'll slag each other about it, and we'll 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 have the odd barb here and there. Um, but it's. It's it's a tough thing. Like it's it's a tough thing for a man to turn around and say, you know, something. I am really struggling with this, and I, and the first assumption is that we want to do we want to do it because either we're having a midlife crisis, 
or we're trying to impress a woman or or man, whatever it may be. Um, but I think a lot of men are seriously concerned with the the health implications that it has for the rest of their life, and I think a lot of men are realizing that you know they'd like the they'd like the rest of their life to be the best of their life. Yeah. Do you think that we men sometimes, uh, Mark? need a little push and and I say that because two two close friends in the last two and a half years were both diagnosed with type 2 mm-hmm. uh, diabetes. One of them is older than me, the other is younger by a few yeah. years in each way and they were both told by the doctor you need to dump three stone Yeah, and they both did it. One guy dumped four Yeah, uh, because, he, and I said to him you know, how did you I needed the push. I got to kick up the yeah. arse. I needed to do it. And I just uh, did it. Do we need a push? In some respect, yeah. Um, and having, and again, it's not, not to harp on about the, the dog walking group, but the, the reason we, the reason that uh, Brian actually came up with the idea of a dog, it's the idea of something outside of yourself. The dog has to go for a walk. Yeah. Rain, wind or shine, it doesn't matter how you feel, that dog needs walked. And men respond. I, I genuinely feel men respond better to that. They, with, I say, with the weight loss element. I mean, if you add a competitive element to it, that can be a great um, spur for men as well. Uh, but if it's done in a friendly way and it's not done in an antagonistic way, then it's much much better. But no, PJ, you're right. Um, without that kick up, the, and a lot a lot of times it has to be something as drastic as you know, if you don't lose these three stone, you're going to die. Or you're you're going to end up with diabetes, or you. And as like a doctor told me once um, when I was um, going to see her, I was talking about life changes. She said, "Listen, these changes you have to make. They're not like." She said, "Diabetes is a life changing condition. Mm-hmm. Diabetes will make you seriously change. You will have to turn your life upside down." So be grateful you don't have that. And she, and she even said to me at the time, you know, you need to keep an eye on your weight because I don't want to be talking to you about um, the possibility of you developing diabetes. Yeah. Have you struggled, Mark, with your own um, mental health as a result of all of this? Oh, God. That's, that's a whole other programme. Uh, well, I you know what we'll do? We don't have a whole other programme, but I do have a few minutes more. But would you let yeah. me clear a commercial break first and we'll talk then about that because I think that a lot of people will, will identify with that one too. So, so stay with me there. I'm talking to Mark Kelly. It's World Obesity Day, the WHO tying in obesity with coronavirus and, and all of that. Mark says that he is medically obese. He's been diagnosed as being medically obese. obese. He, he says he's not fit at all. Come back to him next. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Griffin's new chipping potatoes are specially grown to make the perfect homemade chip. Fluffy inside 
Outside and Crunchy Outside. Now in store. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Corks 96 FM. Talking on Corks 96 FM on this World Obesity Day to Mark Kelly. Um, who is uh, an advocate for for men in particular dealing or struggling with their weight? And uh, Mark, you, you were just getting into mm-hmm. the, the the mental health thing and and talking about that conversation that that we have with ourselves as as yeah. men. In what way did it trouble you mentally? Um, well, it it fed into existing um, troubles I was having with my mental health, and what it really became is. It's another stick to beat yourself with. Um, it's another reason to, as you say, you're looking in the mirror uh, when you don't like that person looking back and you're finding reasons to dislike it. Adding weight is, is a great way to, um, to punish yourself because you can, it's physically there, it's tangible, and you can say to yourself, look at, look at the state of you, look at the shape of you. Um, and you do have those conversations with yourself and you do have these constant conversations where you say, well, firstly, um, how could anyone like you, look at you, um, look at the state of you, look at the size of you? And now, as I say, I'm, I'm not... You're being I, very I'm cruel not, to yourself, very hard on yourself there, aren't you? It's, 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 it's the easiest game in the world to play. And believe me, um, being hard on yourself, nobody does it better than yourself. Uh, oh, I mean, self self loathing is a uh, it's, it's 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 a wonderful wonderful experience. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can laugh about it now because that he was uh, tongue firmly in cheek, of course. Yeah, uh, very much so, and I, and I dare say, um, you know, growing up in Northern Ireland probably helped that as well. Um, we we do tend to have a sideways glance at life. Mm. Um, no, the, the mental health aspect is huge, and and the mindset aspect is huge as well. I think. For a lot of men and women, of course, uh, I can't fail to mention. I mean, there's. I have to give a shout out to Trisha's transformations. Oh, brilliant! She's, a, She's great. She is an absolute legend. She is a lady who got. She got fed up with what she was living with, and she took action about it. And I say to anybody, and that's why I always, um, if I'm training or if I'm uh, getting into fitness, I feel that um, women are a great inspiration because. Mm-hmm. They don't have a lot of the hang-ups that we have. It was on this program she gave her very first radio interview when she decided to start. So she's she's a legend. She is an absolute legend. I would say to anybody who's struggling with weight or is struggling with body image, that is the woman that you need to speak to. Uh, And again, body image is something that is traditionally associated with women. Men struggle big time with the body image. Men have this idea that we have to be you know, broad-shouldered and thin-waisted and we all have to be running around like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Steve Reeves. Mm. It's simple, it's simple or or the other side of it, Mark, because we couldn't care less. Well, yeah, um, and then you have, I mean, uh, I think it's... It's, it's not healthy that, either. No, I mean, I think it's interesting that Santa Claus is promoted always as a jolly fat man, when in fact we shouldn't be promoting that. You know, Santa Claus is Santa Claus is probably on his last legs physically. But yet, no, he's held up as this icon of, of culture. So it's uh, no, the, no, the the mindset aspect is a huge part of it, PJ. And I think for, for men who 
are at that stage where they feel like they should be losing. But obviously, uh, people who are who are morbidly obese and need to lose weight, like they need as much help as possible because they're in a position where they do not want to be living like that. And, and for yeah. people to turn around and say, sure, just stop eating. It's like, listen, when it, it's like any sort of addiction. It, it, when it moves past the point of habit and goes into addiction, that's where you need professional intervention. Yeah. And, and people who are living, like people who are 35, 40 stone, um, as you know, as Tricia, you know, they need professional help, yeah. and they need as much support as they can as they can get. Whereas people, sort of in my own position, who are at that threshold, it's about getting a little bit of a mindset shift and say it's not about losing weight; it's about well, just being that bit more active, you know, feeling mm-hmm. better about yourself. If you're starting, if you're moving a bit better, if you're out, if you're out being involved with things that are good for you. The weight will the weight will come off you if you start looking instead of saying oh I have to go on a diet it's like well no I just have to I have to look at how I'm eating and you know I always use the analogy of a car like you don't you don't put um, you don't put crappy fuel into a car because the engine is just not going to perform yeah or it's a uh, you know it's just like it's like you know you wouldn't you wouldn't add cooking oil to a, take our engine yeah. there's another little analogy too Mark that if you don't if you, if you don't take a car out for the occasional good drive open it mm-hmm. up and work it hard then it'll cough up on you in the middle of winter totally totally and uh, that's as much as the mind as it is the body I mean I'm very very big advocate of the whole mind body relationship and yeah. it goes into the whole you have the, whole, you have the mind you have the body and then, not not to get too spiritual about it, but you know, you have the, the spirit aspect of it as well. Yeah. So, the three you, you need you need to be looking after both. Um, if you're not looking after the body, you're not going to look after the mind. If you're not looking after the mind, and people say, "Well, where do you start?" It's like you know what, it doesn't matter where you start; just start somewhere. Start by putting uh, one foot in front of the other is yeah, something I heard this uh, morning on early morning radio. Yeah, uh, that's so true, so true, and that's where I. I mean, for years I've been trying to do it from the physical point. Uh, and it's like focus, obsessing, or I need to lose weight, I need to lose weight, I need to lose weight, I need to lose weight. And I just kept, I just keep yo-yoing, you know, just back and forth, back and forth. And now it's at the point where, okay, I need to change my whole thinking around this. And I just, instead of uh, beating myself up about it, and that's thankfully something I don't do anymore because I have come, I've come through a whole journey there and Thankfully, I have dealt with a lot of those issues, and I have been able to to get a handle on them. So, yeah. the the things that would have been driving me to overeat, and the things that would have been having me stand in front of the mirror and crucify myself, those those voices are, I wouldn't say they're silent, but they're, they're quieter. Quiet You've dialed yeah. them down a bit. Listen, Mark, it's been great to talk to you. I take it that anybody can come along and join the dog dudes when uh, the dog dudes we. Now, obviously, with lockdown restrictions, um, we're not meeting. Right. Uh, now, when everything's up and running again, it's going to be in, it's in the Ballancolic Regional Park. It's a Saturday morning. We meet at 10 o'clock. Now, we say we're the dog dudes, but a dog isn't essential. Right. If you want to just come along and you want to just have the crack with a group of lads. And the thing is, most of the lads that are there are like myself. They're not from Cork. So if you're if you're living here, if you've just moved here and you're looking to make new friends, and even if you are from here and you want to just get out and make some new friends and get out for an hour's walk, 
come along. The health, the health, the health part will be will be a, a nice byproduct of it. Mark, thank you very much for spending time with us this morning. Mark Kelly, uh, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Good luck with your continued drive to. Uh, for health and fitness. Um, yeah, a very good point on the BMI, which the body mass index. John on WhatsApp makes a super point. He said, look, it's, it's not an accurate judge. If it was used accurately, the vast majority of international rugby players would be obese. In fact, most sports that require physical endeavour will show a BMI level way above height and age recommendations. And that is true when you think about it. Like, look, at, do you remember Paul O'Connell? A man mountain. Remember meeting Paul O'Connell when he was at the height of his powers? Every time I met him, he got bigger. But he would have been classed as obese. One of the fittest men in Irish sport. Come on. As the schools go back slowly and hopefully surely, you wonder about speech and language and whether those facilities are coming back on stream. But also, there's a huge problem getting speech and language therapy. Getting into it in the first place. And it's been going on now for as long as I can remember. And it's still going on. Peter Horgan, good morning. Good morning, Peter. Dreadful shortage of um, speech and language. Therapists is the problem, isn't it? It's a massive issue because... For the last number of years, I've personally been signing, as a peace commissioner, has been signing documents for graduates coming out, of, uh, you know, across speech and language, OT, whatever you're having you in UCC and other places, and they're going to England. And any time I ask them, I say, well, how come you're going to the NHS? He says, well, they're offering me a contract. The NHS just don't want to offer a contract. And the net result then is more waiting lists uh, and larger waiting lists. And in areas like in South Lee, like from Blackrock, which runs from Blackrock to Douglas down to Cargilline and over to Bandon and all that lies in between. I mean, you have 1,958 as of December awaiting some form of either assessment, a first therapy or further therapy in speech and language. What's the average waiting time? The average waiting time? Well, it would kind of vary between under... Actually, I'll bring it up here. You'd have the bulk of people will be waiting between four months and a year. And 18 months. Between four months and 18 months, you'll have the bulk of people waiting. And the problem is, these aren't just numbers. Each number is a child, is a family waiting for intervention. And in speech and language, it's so crucial to get in early because you mitigate any issues down the line Mm -hmm. uh, with speech and language if you get in early. And everyone knows that. And there's 7.8 million after being uh, invested into assessment of needs. That's not just speech and language, it's assessment of needs but the numbers are going up. So from September 2020 to December 2020, in South Lee alone, there was a 21% increase in speech and language delays. So mm. we, like Niall Muldoon, the children's ombudsman, has said this in his report on met needs, there needs to be a bigger intervention. We need a sharper, faster, focused intervention. And if that means bringing in the private sector and refunding parents, you know, the cost of, of an assessment so be it. Let's get the backlog done. But we can't We can't just get the backlog done for numbers sake. It has to be a proper intervention. But you made the point there at the start, and we will develop this further another day. You're saying we are training them, yeah. but we're not employing them. No. And the reason I ask, I ask graduates every year, it's, it's around July every year I get the, the calls to come in to meet someone to sign up to sign their forms, and I happily do it because, you know, otherwise they have to go to the solicitor and, and fork out a bit of money for it. But uh, 
what they say is that the HSC is blaming Slaughter Care for not uh, signing up graduates. Now, that's not what Slaughter Care is meant to be about at all. It's meant to, you know, buttress our health service, not absolutely rip the heart from it, because we're in a situation now like we were with our, our doctors and nurses, where we're training them up to export them. And that, we've seen the impact of that in the last year, especially, you know, with, with staffing. And it's something we really need to address okay. is we have to ensure that we train our graduates and keep them in the country with proper terms and conditions. Okay. I'm going to leave it there for today, Peter. I will come back to this because it's a huge issue, the shortage of speech and language availability for people and families that need it. And the fact that we're training them, good ones, and we're exporting them to the NHS. Not good enough. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. A lot of people are very impressed with Mark Kelly talking about obesity and his own struggles with weight over the last number of years. We did it to mark the fact that today is World Obesity Day. And because of the connection between obesity and coronavirus, the fact that COVID can affect you much more seriously if you are obese uh, it's of particular significance to mark this year's uh, World Obesity Day 185715996 the number to call the text to WhatsApp 083 3969696 the email opinion at 96fm.ie if you missed anything in the first hour of our program remember you can get the podcast in the afternoon we stick it up on Twitter as soon as it's ready and then it goes from there to all of the various platforms so wherever you subscribe, you'll get the update every afternoon, including, of course, the Cork's 96FM phone app. Or you get it on the website. If you're watching us on the website, also, you can get it there. And it's free, a total freebie. You don't get too many freebies in life, but that's one of them. Lots of stuff on weight uh, in response to Mark, and I'll read them in, in a wee while. On the vaccine rollout, I might bring that up with my next guest at, at one point or other. A lot of people are coming through now very disappointed about appointments being offered to the elderly to come for vaccines and then either being cancelled or being, you know, turning up and there's no vaccine there. And I mentioned earlier on there's a member of Neffet. I'll tell you who it is in a minute. A member of Neffet uh, is saying that they haven't got their supply of vaccines to their own practice for their older patients it's a mess at the moment and here's hoping that it will sort itself out they keep telling us it will sort itself out because we'll get more supply we're kind of saying yeah come on you're telling us that for weeks come on come on come on we, we need the stuff we need the stuff also as the children go back to school and they went back on Monday the first cohort of course the smallies and the big smallies went back on Monday and the first and second classes went back on Monday. And then the leaving search also went back Monday. An issue that has arisen again this week is the wearing of masks in school, in particular the wearing of masks in school by young children. There was a, a webinar held yesterday among a number of experts where leading public health expert Professor David, Gabriel Scally said that pupils of primary age, i.e. six plus should now be wearing wearing masks in school. They just should be wearing masks in school. A lot of people, a lot of parents, very resistant to putting masks on six-year-olds. And you can see why it's not the most, it's not nothing like natural. But Dr. Scally says that we should be putting masks on six-year-old and up 
in order to keep the schools safe and in order to keep the schools open. Dr. Scally, good morning again. Good morning. Nice good. to be back with you. Good to have you back on the opinion line. It, it's, it's, not, it's not something a parent wants to do, put a mask on a six-year-old, but, but you see it as necessary at the moment. Well, I think we need to take uh, schools very seriously. Well, yeah, everyone knows that, that, that uh, the children have uh, you know, suffered greatly and we need to do everything we can to get children back into school. And masks is one uh, part of it, no doubt, and it's the one that attracts a lot of attention. It, it's not top of the agenda. There are other things we should be doing. And uh, yes, I, I do think that there's a good case for children of six and over wearing, uh, wearing masks. And I, I think um, talking to behavioral scientists and educationalists, uh, they, they're quite clear that that is possible, that uh, children are very adaptable and they do adapt to this. And indeed, we know from other countries that it, it can work for children. And I think they should be supplied free and they should be good quality. And uh, yes, I think there is a rule. But as I say, uh, PJ, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be my number one priority for safety in schools. So I wouldn't want to get distracted by it yeah. and, and think that that's the most important thing. Ahead of that, far ahead of that, I would put... Uh, distancing, so making sure, taking over extra space so classrooms could be well spread out. But t- top of my agenda would be ventilation. Yeah. And uh, I, I, we should be taking uh, the opportunity, we really should be taking the opportunity of this time when the schools are being closed to do something about that, you know. And that's what the Director General of WHO said. He said, uh, you know, t- the time during which schools are closed should be used to put in place measures to prevent and respond to transmission when schools open. So we should have been and be working away to improve ventilation, to get more space by taking over buildings that are not used or putting up temporary buildings, and certainly uh, improving the hygiene in general, uh, in, in the good hygiene, you know, making sure that they, there are enough wash basins and if they're not uh, putting new ones in, or uh, if that isn't possible, making sure that there are wash stands available. Uh, all that of that soap. sort of uh, that there's soap, that there are towels, and that they're changed recently, uh, re- uh, regularly, and kept clean. All of that very basic stuff, uh, and uh, you know that issue of ventilation, I think, is perhaps the, the number one for me. And then I would go for the hygiene mm. issue, make sure the hygiene and 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 the space, and then I'd come to masks. But I do think masks have a contribution to make. Mm. We're coming, of course, into the time of year springtime where it will be easier to to open windows and let a little breeze through so so this time of year ain't going to be so hard to ventilate the schools no it won't be but uh the the issue of opening a window opening one window in a classroom isn't enough really you need to change the air on a regular basis and that's why you know there is an issue about the different types of ventilation there is opening a window preferably opening uh, to a door and a window or two windows on opposite sides of the building so that there's a th- through draft. Mm. Uh, but, but that's very much passive ventilation and uh, really something more active would be much better, putting in either you know, fans that are um, uh, supplying fresh air into the room or extracting uh, old air from them, blowing it out. And uh, or mechanical ventilation, you know, uh, but something to ensure that there's a turnover. And I think that's where, to put masks into context, if you've got a a large class in Mm. a small room, not ventilated, 
Um, well, masks aren't going to make that much of a difference yes. anyway, so gotcha. it wouldn't be my number one priority. Mm. Mm. The, the, the ventilation, definitely, and the size of the size of the classroom. Absolutely. Look, there are lots of, uh, everyone knows, there are lots of premises not being used now because we can't have gatherings, so there are halls and uh, sports facilities and all sorts of uh, buildings that are not being properly used, and classes should be, should be spread out that way. And... Uh, I also think there should be an alert level. There should be uh, different levels at which different things have to take place, you know, to stagger arrival at school. There will be times if there's a lot of virus around the community to stagger arrival and departure for individual classes, to to, to break up uh, playgrounds so that the children aren't all out playing together, or if they are, there's divisions in the playground so that some classes are one end and others the other. So uh, producing that cohort effect where, where, where the classes stick together all the way. Now, some of these things will be done. The difference, the difference between a country that takes it really seriously and one that, that isn't taking it seriously is that they do these things in an organized fashion. You know, and if you go on to the New York uh, City website Mm. as a parent you can look up your school and you can look up the ventilation report on that school uh, and that that report will tell you what the ventilation system is in that classroom in your classroom you will have a number for your classroom and you've been told the number that your child is being educated in and you'll be able to see what the ventilation is when it was inspected were there any deficiencies and if there were what's been uh, done to correct them so that's taking it seriously in my book yeah Something that came up in the last few weeks, and, and you, I think you, you were part of, or one of your colleagues was part of a discussion on the Stephen Nolan show on BBC about children and long COVID. Yes. Uh, there's been some, some worrying evidence now that while children, we know that they rarely get it seriously, they rarely get seriously ill, but they can suffer mild symptoms for a very long time. Indeed, that is right, and uh, it is very worrying. And the the surveys that have been done in England, which are very, very, very good surveys by the Office of National Statistics, they show that for uh, broadly primary school children, children uh, two all the way up to 11, uh, one in eight of those children, if they get infected, will have uh, long COVID. And and their definition of this is it is continuing symptoms up to five weeks later, which is a long time, you know, compared to a normal sniffle or a cold. And, uh, and then in secondary schools, it's a bit higher than that. It's, it's one in seven has that continuing long COVID uh, issue. And, I, and we really, really don't know about the long-term effects of this virus. I don't know if I've said to you before, Peter, but one of the things that worries me and I learned it early in my public health career, was about the connection in the United States between people who had lived through the Spanish flu and then went on to develop Parkinson's disease some time later. Yes, you know, I re- well, I, you, you pointed to that survey, not in this, and, and, on this programme, but somewhere else, and I read it. Uh, it's scary. And, and that, it, it is scary, and it, it, it terrifies me that if, if, we, if we loosen our... our um, controls and, and let the virus uh, rip through the childhood population just because we think that very, very few of them will get ill. Some will get ill, but, but, but the incidence of a serious illness is low. That, that the virus may 
these are young developing brains and I do really do not like the idea of this virus which we know affects the brain because people uh, adults who get long COVID get brain fog mm-hmm. they get all sorts Can't of think uh, straight yeah. n- nervous system issues of, of, uh, of tingling st- that, that loss of taste and smell which often persists so it does affect the nervous system and I really don't like the idea of our children getting this virus mm. it, it, it is another nail in the coffin of the theory that, right, let's vaccinate now that we have, let's vaccinate the very vulnerable, let's protect them and let's let it go naturally through the rest of the population. Beyond dangerous. Indeed, it's beyond dangerous, yes. uh, We've no vaccine yet for young people and uh, I don't think we should really drop our guards at all on this. Uh, And (laughs) Even if we understood the virus as it is perfectly now, we now know enough about this virus is that it's very tricky and these mutations and the variants that are appearing can change the characteristics of the virus significantly to, uh, to a really substantial effect in terms of the infectiousness of the disease and in terms of uh, maybe dodging some of the, the immunity. Certainly the Brazilian variant um, it is reinfecting people who have already had COVID and they're developing symptoms again of their COVID. And we don't know yet whether uh, it, it, the vaccines that are in use will be protective against this variant, should it take hold. But these things are, are changing all the time because there's just so much virus replication going on across the world. And that's one of the reasons why the international effort to, to spread vaccines across the world is really important because we need to drive down the levels of infection all across the globe so that we don't get as many of these variants popping up. This is the, the COVAX the COVAX it. scheme, it's a great scheme. But it, it, I, even, I looked at it last night to see how well it was doing, and it is doing well. It's delivered vaccines to 15 different uh, low-income countries now, but it's only delivered a total of 10 million doses. And oh, that's you know, a drop in a drop. Or it's a molecule uh, in the ocean, you know, not just a drop in the ocean. Finally, you, you might have heard Dr. Nabarro uh, from the WHO talking earlier this week about the quarantine system being set up here in this country, uh, which he seems to be predicting to be doomed to failure. What are your own thoughts? Well, I think quarantine is really, really important, and uh, we haven't taken it seriously uh, enough. Funnily enough, uh, you know, uh, for, for any of your listeners who are into their history, and I know Irish people have tremendous uh, interest in history, but they, uh, one of the last acts published by the 1800 Irish Parliament uh, before it was abolished was a quarantine act. And the severity of the measures was amazing. Death penalty for skipping quarantine. And, and they really, really took it seriously because they saw its importance. Now, I'm not advocating anything like that at all. <laughs> but I do think we, we should be able to do it properly. And that means... Keeping people in a managed isolation situation for 14 weeks and being sure that that uh, that uh, they're not dodging round the the, round the system by going to another country and uh, getting on a train or a ferry or whatever way uh, and uh, evading that system because that system's designed to protect us all and the sooner it's put into place. And put into play and, and put into place north and south, and there's a real worry that Northern Ireland is showing no interest in doing any uh, uh, any managed isolation at all, which makes it even uh, harder for us down here. Oh, incredibly, incredibly difficult, and uh, these aren't. 
these are not, you know, there are no tourists about the place. Uh, these aren't tourists. Uh, a very high proportion of them will be uh, Irish people coming back to Ireland for a visit or, or, or moving back. And they, they know how to get around the world easily and, and to change aeroplanes in hubs and so on and so forth. And the only way to keep us all safe is, is to keep them safe. And you keep them safe by putting them uh, into a managed isolation situation where they, they can have treatment if they, if, they, if they develop symptoms and are ill. And also they can't infect any other, uh, any other person. Okay. As always, I'm grateful for your time, uh, Dr. Scally. Thank you very much. That's uh, Dr. Gabriel Scally from the Irish Scientific Advisory Group and, of course, Professor of Public Health, 1850-715-996. On the subject of quarantine, did you know it has a religious connection? Did you know that there's a connection between quarantine and Lent? Yes, there is. I'll tell you about next. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. The TV shows, movies and songs you grew up on. We're testing your memory banks. Take the throwback Thursday quiz and I'll race you through your afternoon with all your favourite tunes from the biggest artists from midday on Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now 1850 715 996 on Cork's 96 FM. I get to your comments that we're holding over. It's just busy this morning. And by the way, if I don't ever read out your comment or your text, uh, I do look at them all and see them all. And it kind of informs me as to where we should be going with the show and the kind of opinions we want to reflect. So don't ever worry. I might not read it out, but I do see it. I do appreciate every comment that you send us. Now, on the subject of quarantine, this is just, you know, the strange things that you read. I read this recently that the 40 days and 40 nights of Lent, the traditional Lent that we're told that Jesus went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, well, quarantine comes from the word quarant, which is 40, the French for 40, quarant. So did Jesus go into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights to protect him from disease? I know, it's a stretch. I just read an article in a newspaper recently. I thought, That's interesting. I must mention that on the show some morning. 1850-715-996. That program last night on RTE, Primetime Investigates. Superb work by the team, it has to be said, about illegal adoptions. Adoptions where the paperwork was forged, hidden, false, all sorts of different words, and facilitated by the powerful in this country like the son of a president was facilitating illegal adoptions, adoptions where the child never knew they were adopted and was it was wrongly listed, the child was wrongly listed as the birth child of its adoptive parents, completely illegal. The first person who brought this story to television a number of years ago was, of course, the producer of the Adoption Stories series and the writer of the Adoption Stories book, and that's Sharon Lawless. Sharon, good morning. 
morning, PJ. Uh, you, what did you think of the show? Superb body of work, but I guess it's, it's stuff that people like you and me knew about a long time ago, but a superb body of work last night. To be honest, PJ, I didn't watch it um, because I didn't feel that there was anything new. Yeah. Um, I um, felt that this had all been exposed before by um, other journalists, um, including myself. Yeah. Uh, Alison O'Reilly exposed the Devil Era connection. Um, and um, I felt that it wasn't covering a lot of the, the real detail of illegal adoptions and the extent to which it happened and the amount of people who were involved in it. Now, certainly, it would have been shocking to the general public yes, it was, to discover yeah. an awful lot of what went on last night. And maybe, you know, I'm just a bit jaded knowing about it for so long. Um, I traced during it myself that the saddest part for me in watching it was that we knew all about this a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, it was no surprise, you know. Um, I'm just judging by the, the promos and the comments on Twitter afterwards, the two main areas that were covered were St. Patrick's Guild and um, uh, De Valera's son. Um, St. Patrick's Guild, I think the, the first story I did on their illegal adoptions was back in 2012, um, and that was Tressa Reeves' case, which Connell mm-hmm. had already written about. Yeah. Um, and it was as a result of Tressa taking part in adoption stories that the Adoption Authority called her and said that if she pulled out of the programme, they would reunite her with her son. Um, and because of legal restraints... Sharon, repeat mm-hmm. that again for listeners. It might have just gone over their head. You told me this before. <laughs> yeah. The, the Adoption Authorities contacted Tressa. Yeah, who had been in and out with the Adoption Authority for decades trying to get information about her son. And when they discovered that she was taking part in adoption stories, they called her and said that if she pulled out of the series, that they would reunite her with her son. That was when? That was December 2012. So this crack was still going on nine years ago? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, they they did, you know, because of legal restraints, I I couldn't I couldn't go too far into the, um, you know, who was responsible and what had happened. Um, So it was not an innocuous report, but certainly I couldn't go into the amount of detail detail you wanted to, the details you had, you couldn't you couldn't use the the other. They thought it was, you know, there, there wasn't. I suppose they kind of felt it was safe enough for her to go to broadcast. Yeah. Um, and they they did reunite um, just after the episode was, was broadcast. Um, so that was the, the first St. Patrick's Guild one. And I've done several since then. Mm-hmm. And uh, one in 2016, um, uh, a man who was illegally adopted and taken to South Africa. Loads of paperwork on that. And he is not one of the people identified in the uh, the number of illegal adoptions that was announced in 2018. Yeah. He had no note on his file. I wanted to focus on that one because the, we're, 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 and the, the documentary focused last night on that very small number, maybe a hundred and something, that, mm. that we know that happened. But I think anybody with three functioning brain cells knows that they're not the only ones. I'm, and there are actually there are hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands, and probably they're closer to home than St Patrick's Guild. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, there were, I, I think it was the Rotunda um, Girls Society. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Actually, I, I don't think they would... Uh, they would go unscathed in this if there was a you know further investigation into it. Um, there were a lot more incidents of it and um, private nursing homes, which we've covered in adoption stories as well. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, high profile people um, as well connected as Professor De Valera, um, household names in cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it really was a cesspit. And the unfortunate thing is that you know, what can be done about it now? There are an awful lot of legal actions being taken, but, you know, St. Patrick's Guild has gone into liquidation. Um, and I suppose in terms of, you know, company law and them being able to do that, technically they can do that. Mm. But obviously we know that behind that is the Sisters of Charity who, you know, have a very large purse. But St. Patrick's Guild as a company has gone into liquidation. Um yeah. And I mean, looking at the, the documentation that, you know, that exists in some cases, this is not a surprise to the government or to the HSE or anybody else. I mean, I know TUSLA has its faults, but, you know, TUSLA was the one, the official body to come forward with the number of illegal adoptions they found in St. Patrick's Guild. And remember, it took St. Patrick's Guild about 18 months to hand their files over and they were paid a fee to do so. Um, so I would think fair play to Tusla for spotting that and and announcing it and bringing it to general public attention. Yeah. But we do know there's an awful lot more there. And we know that um, the government and ministers of the time um, knew well about it. And ministers since then have known about it and have done nothing, you know, right up until a few years ago. Yeah. Do you know the way they have access to files in Britain and access to files in the north of Ireland and people have always said, why can't you give adopted people access to their files in the Republic? I have always said they didn't want this stuff coming out and that's part of the reason. Yeah. Um, And I mean, this is, okay. this was straight illegal adoption right across the board. And there are an awful lot of people connected and there's an awful lot of money that changed hands. Um, And, you know, in a lot of those cases, there's very scant paperwork, if anything at all. So there's that to do with illegal adoptions. Then you've got the situation with legal adoptions where, you know, there, there are files, there is paperwork, there are records. And again, maybe that's why they're not giving access, because within those files and paperwork, maybe there are some well-known names that weren't involved in illegal activity, but uh, were involved in activities, you know, that they mightn't want anybody to know about. But I mean, it's just the whole thing is just insulting, you know, from the fact that adopted people can't get their information and uh, parents can't find out information about their children. Um, it's treating people like idiots, quite frankly, um, as if they're not responsible for their own actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's gone way beyond this thing of protecting 
the mother and, you know, protecting this party and that party. You know, who else is interested in who gave birth to who? It's nobody else's business. Just let the two people involved know about each other. Nobody else's business. Absolutely. Leave it there for today. Thank you very much. Give my regards to Sir Alfred. Uh, Sharon Lawless, producer of Adoption Stories on Virgin Media and author of a super book by the same name. And I know she's working on another series. And she was, and to be fair, like, look, there was that was a good, a very good, strong documentary last night. Some great work uh, by the team on stuff we already knew, uh, to be fair. There is a lot more out there, and a lot more is going to come out. Uh, this is something... I first heard about these adoptions, I would say, 2001, 2002, perhaps. And, and I know somebody... And I would say someone that I regard as a very close friend whose life this has touched in a very, very deep and personal way. And I I texted that person late at night, late last night to tell them I was thinking of them because it 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 really does weigh on their minds. 185715996. The opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Serious Arts Centre has shared a preview of key upcoming programme events taking place online over the next six months. It includes works from the artists such as Ofri Canai, Daniela Oritz, Artisan Social Club and more. You can find out more information at seriousartscentre.ie Access all areas. The Scratch are a four-piece acoustic act born of a shared love for acoustic guitar, metal and traditional Irish music. You can check out this excellent hybrid when they come to Cypress Avenue for a show on Saturday, May 29th. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. We have spoken many times and at length on the Opinion Line about the situation uh, with Carrigaline School Complex and the ongoing story about trying to get a new school complex for Carrigaline. And I've spoken to politicians, I've spoken to frustrated parents, I've spoken to activists time and time again. It came up again yesterday in the Dáil. Uh, Fianna Fáil TD for East Cork, the youngest TD in the Dáil, James O'Connor, brought it up in questions to the Minister for Education, Norma Foley. That the situation in my own constituency in Cork East, we are awaiting news with a number of years on, the prog- on how to progress the situation with the Carrie-Tuhill school complex in terms of the new secondary school builds and the two new primary school buildings that are supposed to go with that. And Minister, I am pleading with you to get an answer on that because I've been waiting long enough. The constituents are extremely frustrated. The community in Carrie-Tuhill are extremely frustrated. And we have to bear in mind that there are 4,000 homes that are zoned for the development in that region. And there is already 
a chronic lack of school places for secondary school students. And we are desperate for the help of the Department of Education because I've been flagging it for months and I need answers. Gormalgut. In terms of uh, the uh, issue that you raise in terms of carry tool, I, I want to acknowledge, Deputy, sincerely that this, I know, is a, is a matter of enormous interest to you and to your constituents, and it is an issue that you have flagged on numerous occasions. And I want to reiterate to you again, Deputy, that it is a matter of high priority for my department. I have uh, articulated that very clearly to you on a number of occasions, and I have, have told you that uh, we are working on this as a matter of priority, and uh, uh, we will uh, continue to place the highest of priority on the delivery uh, of uh, accommodation and carry tool. Anything new in that for you, Louis Lorraine O'Connell, who's the, from the School Pressure Group in Carry Tool? Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thanks very much for having us on again. PJ, there's absolutely nothing new there. The same regurgitated information is coming out over and over and over again. We have, you can sense the frustration in James O'Connor's voice even to, to watch it yesterday evening. And like James is new to the game, you know, to, in fairness to him. And he's frustrated already. I mean, we've had all our local representatives, David Stanton, Sean Sherlock, twice in the last six months, has raised questions in the doll. I mean, words are consistently used like it's high priority. Norma Foley is saying it's high priority. We are looking at it but nothing is coming of it. Um, and I suppose we're trying to raise a little bit of awareness now because the promise that um, Minister Foley made in September was that we would have the e-tender details out in quarter one of this year. Mm-hmm. So effectively, PJ, we are now coming into the second week of the last month of that quarter with absolutely no further information. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are. There's... We, in September last year, you had um, Minister Martin at the time, you did an interview with him and one of our parents actually drove up to try and meet him. And on that day, he promised he'd look into it. Not one word have we heard from anyone, either Minister Foley, Micheál Martin, no one. Nobody has come back to us with anything at all, PJ. We have, um, if you are familiar with Facebook and, and on it, there's an East Cork school crisis group Facebook page set up. Now, the last count, I think there could be a couple of dozen children still in March with no place for the children in school in September. So we're frustrated is a mild word. PJ, only you'd beat me out. I'd say an awful lot more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, well, I can see why. And myself and, and, and James O'Connor had, had words on air about this uh, uh, last year um, and and indeed it's a very highly politicised issue down there and you're kind of wondering does it help to have them all kicking it around as a political football or, or, or has it been of any benefit to you other than keep it out there? It hasn't been of any benefit at all because to be fair PJ I suppose if I was in their position I'd be a bit embarrassed at this point because they are being given our elected representatives are being given the same runaround as we are as, as parents and the children so they've effectively been it looks like from the outside that they've been stonewalled as well and are just being given the same information and it's very frustrating for them because I know that parents are consistently ringing emailing contacting our representatives locally, all of them from all parties. We don't really care which one party they're from. Um, that's not our priority, but it doesn't seem to be helpful, even though they appear on the outside to be doing work in the background, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So we've no timeline still, because we were told the end of quarter one for the tender, and like you said, this is the fourth day of the third month of quarter one, uh, and, and, and nothing, and yesterday 
there was nothing fresh from the minister at all in that statement. No, I, I mean, if you were to compare them, you could nearly just superimpose one statement over another, over another, going back to six, seven, eight months, PJ. Um, the, the same phrasing is used, high priority, we're looking into it, you know, it, it, it may or may not happen. I mean, I suppose our concern from here is that it'll come to the end of this quarter and they will use COVID, perhaps, as an excuse for not having any work done. Now, it's not going to wash because it, there's no bricks and mortar jobs being done yet, PJ. So effectively, the work that should have been done can be done by people remotely. People, hundreds yeah. of thousands of people are working remotely from home for 12 months yeah. quite successfully. So there should be no excuse why things like e-tenders, documents, all that stuff shouldn't be done. There should be no reason, yeah. no excuse why we, that We were trashing that out, actually, the last time we were talking about this. Now, there's a further statement from Deputy O'Connor where he says that last night, Minister, made a, Minister Foley made a commitment to meet stakeholders involved in this situation. When was I, the first <laughs> time you asked for a meeting with Norman Foley? Lorraine? Well, when I spoke to you on the phone, I think the last time was sometime around September or thereabouts. We had previous to that put in several requests to meet Minister Foley. And I think on the day, the wording I used may, may have been something like, she's driving up and down to the doll on a regular basis. She could easily come here to Carrigtool and meet these people. Or she could meet you on Zoom, for goodness exactly. sake. Exactly. That was my next statement. She could quite easily um, arrange a meeting. But we have had absolutely zero contact directly with Minister Foley, despite, I suppose at this point now, PJ, hundreds of requests yeah. for the same. So Nothing. Last night when she said to Deputy O'Connor that she would meet you, you're not holding out much hope. Absolutely not, because I think she initially made that promise to Deputy, o- Deputy O'Connor um, back in September when one of the first, I know Sean Sherlock has had two questions to the doll in September and another one in January. And again, if, if you just read through the statement, it's the same thing over and over again. Um, I, I think James, you, you know, I can't see it happening. We're not confident in it happening. And we're less credit where it's due, he's not, le- he's not letting it go to give him credit where it's due. And none of your local representatives are, but there's something stopping the minister for, for actually speaking to you guys about it. Well, absolutely. So, I, I mean, I suppose when you meet a stone wall of silence, there's always going to be suspicion that there, perhaps there is a reason why. And that's what we're getting nervous of. We're, I mean, we're getting close to the end of quarter one now with no positivity at all. I suppose looking at it from a non-professional view of it and looking at it just from a parent's perspective or my perspective, I'd be saying if there was good progression on it, if it was near the end of the e-tender, surely they would want people off their backs and say, listen, it's going well, lads. It's going well. We're going to get there, you know, in the next Mm. few weeks. We'll get there. But when you meet a complete stonewall of silence, it's very hard not to be suspicious, PJ, you know? I know. I, I, I think what you're saying to me is that is someone waiting for an opportune time to tell you that it can't be done anyway? That's the suspicion. And that's, I mean, you talk to the parents, the first thing they'll say is, is it, is it going to happen? Is it ever going to happen? And nobody can answer a question for us. No one, PJ. Oh. I mean, you think of a couple of dozen children there around the East Cork area. I mean, ranging from probably y'all right up to uh, the cove, the other side of it, that have no place for their children in, in September coming. I mean, that's, that's just desperate. It's okay. desperate. And it's, and it's not new. It's, on, it's going on a while. Lorraine, leave it there. Thank you very much. Lorraine O'Connell from the Carrick Tool School Pressure Group. And their fear now. And she voiced it there. She, I don't think she's ever voiced it with me before on the opinion line. Their fear now is 
that despite all the questions from their local representatives and despite all of the pressure on the department, they can't get to meet the minister. They can't get any reassurance. They can't get guaranteed that the tender will be awarded. Are the department, is the department, waiting for an opportune time to tell them, actually, that's we can't do it. We can't do it. Wouldn't that be scandalous if that was what was happening? 1850-715-996. We talked briefly yesterday, and I said we'd come back to it, about the plan for a gathering, a protest against lockdown on Cork City Cent- in Cork City Centre this Saturday. Now, that such a protest would be illegal, uh, no matter whether it were 15 people or 15,000 people. Uh, yesterday, the, the organisers, the, the, Mr. Kyla from the organising group doesn't speak to this programme, as is his choice, but he said it would be a peaceful family event. Our concern, of course, and the concern on social media is that it'll be hijacked by people with more nefarious aims and that you could end up with a repeat of last Saturday's events in Dublin. The Cork Business Association has issued a statement to its members and a message to its members. President is Ono Sullivan. Owen, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You've been speaking to the guards. This has been taken very seriously. So we've been working closely with the guards over the past number of days uh, and following the events in Dublin last Saturday, we have notified our members to be extra vigilant um, on Saturday from 12pm to 6pm following the planned anti-lockdown protest. Now, our job as an organisation, PJ, as you well know, is promoting the city and encouraging people to come into the city. Uh, But this time, there's such a high risk uh, with a large number of people uh, coming together that COVID-19 cases could spike again. Now, we have worked extremely hard. Uh, the, bu- the business community has worked extremely hard to minimise the spread of COVID-19. People have put their livelihoods on hold. Businesses have been closed down. People are on their knees. And we are totally dependent on opening in June. We are focused on getting reopened as a, as a, as a business community. We, we've been told May it's now been pushed to June, but we have to get back open. We have to get the city back trading. And protests like this potentially will delay uh, the reopening of the city, which we would like and would ask people not to attend uh, this protest on Saturday. There are those who would say among the organisers that it's because of what your members are going through that this protest is being held and the actual fact they they support you. Do you accept that? We're always working, we've always worked with government and worked within government guidelines and we're, we're, we're continuing to do so. And I know people are frustrated I would encourage people to stay the course and continue what we've been doing and the good work we've been doing to minimise the spread of COVID-19. And I think that the risk, PJ, of having such a large number of, of people together again could cause a spike. And I think figures in, in Cork have been, have been quite good. Uh, and look, we're, we're focused on getting reopened. We want to get back to business. And thus, the fear for the business community now is that this, this delay will be prolonged and we'll be in lockdown for even longer. So look, I'm just asking anybody who's thinking about attending on Saturday just to think about people who are out of jobs, people who have closed their businesses, 
Um, we want to get back trading as soon as possible. I know everybody is frustrated. We're all frustrated. But we're so close to the finish line now. Um, I've, I've spoken to a couple of our members over the last number of days and they're talking about reopening, rehiring staff. Like These are really positive uh, news stories. And this event on Saturday is just a big worry for the business community. Okay. All right. Leave it there. Thank you very much. That's Ona Sullivan, president of the Cork Business Association. His message to anybody thinking of coming into the city centre Saturday afternoon is if you actually genuinely support the local businesses and want them genuinely to be able to open and trade again, stay away. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 20th to 22nd. So we're asking you to share your story and make a big difference. Share your story and make a big difference. Every year, brave Corkonians tell their cancer stories for Radiothon. Now you can play a big part by sharing your cancer journey. Find out more by emailing radiothon at 96fm.ie. The Giving for Living Radiothon, May 20th to 22nd. Raising money for Cork Cancer Services. Oh, I'll take care, take care of you. Only on Cork's 96FM. On Cork's 96FM. A new app has been launched to help women with various aspects of pregnancy, particularly nutrition and diet and how to help themselves through that nine months. It's come from the National Maternity Hospital where Dr Eileen O'Brien is a senior dietitian. Eileen, good morning to you. Hi PJ, thanks so much for having us on. Delighted. The app is called Holistic, which Holistic. is a nice play on Holistreet. It is, we do love the puns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the Holistic app, it's a free nutrition app for pregnant women. Um, and I suppose it can be used after pregnancy as well, but it's, I suppose, essentially like having a nutrition expert in your pocket. And as you said, it's been developed by leading scientists at um, the UCD Perinatal Research Centre. So that's the centre we have here at the National Maternity Hospital um, and the dietitians and obstetricians at the National Maternity Hospital as well. One thing that I'd be worried about for, for, for women who are pregnant these days in terms of diet and health mm. is that they're surrounded by all sorts. They've got the science and they've got the sense, and they've got nonsense and rubbish. Mm. And I think that this app is helping them to discern what is actually factual and useful. Absolutely. So I suppose what the Holistic app does, it helps to navigate and cut through, I suppose, between, as you said, the nonsense and then to bring the really good evidence-based science to women. So that this app, I suppose, is really unique in that it's backed by years of research at the UCD Perinatal Research Centre. Um, and it was originally part of um, a large study of pregnant women at the National Maternity Hospital. And they were given this app along with healthy um, lifestyle intervention, which included healthy eating, um, dietary advice, physical activity advice. And we tested this against then a group of women who just went ahead and got their usual care. And we found that those, the group that had the app and the, the lifestyle intervention had better diet, 
they had better physical activity towards the end of pregnancy, which is difficult to achieve as, as pregnancy moves on. Um, they had less weight gain in their pregnancy and their babies were born nor, more of a normal size. Um, so we know that the science behind this app is really good. Um, and I suppose the app then, it's, I can give you a little bit of information about what the app involves, if you'd Please like. Please do. Yeah. So there's four kind of key areas within the app. So the recipes is one major part. So the holistic recipes, there's about 100 of them, breakfast, lunch, dinner and snacks, beautifully presented on the app. And they've all been tried and tested by mums. They've been tested by chefs. Um, and they provide, I suppose, the essential nutrients for pregnancy. So with a key, I suppose, um, priority on things like calcium and iron, which are so important for, for a good, healthy pregnancy. There's also um, a pregnancy tracker within the app. So you can track um, as the gestation moves along, you can compare the size of the baby to the size of a typical piece of fruit or vegetable. Um, and there's also tips that are available every time you open up the app that you get a new tip related to the gestation of pregnancy. And then there's also the fourth part is an information hub about nutrition and pregnancy and distills down the key, um, I suppose, information that women need to know about nutrition and pregnancy and physical activity. Um, so that's the app, I suppose, in a nutshell. Yeah, it's free from all the platforms. It's completely free, both on Android and Apple. Um, and we also then have an Instagram page so women can be part of that community as well. It's at Holistic. So it's H-O-L-L-E-S-T-I-C. So like Hollis, like you said, Hollis Street. Okay. Okay, yeah. well, good Good luck with it. Interesting to see the, the science coming together and have it in the palm of your hand. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Well, Aaron Hill, go on, you good thing. Leading away at the Gibraltar Open. Vic, if you should happen to get a result of that match before we finish, you might let us know. It looks like he's on his way to a first-run win. A good man, Aaron Hill. 1850-715-996, the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96mm.ie. If you missed anything in our first hour this morning, then you know it'll be on the podcast. First couple of hours, it'll be on the podcast this afternoon. In between two and three, goes up to Twitter and then follows its way onto all of the various platforms, including the 96FM app. And of course, it is completely free of charge. And it's on the app that you can join Trevor Welsh this particular Saturday uh, for the Premier League Live, exclusively online, powered by Talksport. Back with another big lineup, Trev and the team this weekend. Burn- Burnley against Arsenal at 12.30. Sheffield United versus Southampton at 3. Arsenal Villa. Aston Villa where did I get Arsenal Villa from Aston Villa versus Wolves at half five and Brighton against Leicester at eight Premier League live online of course is with Now TV stream live Premier League action with the Now TV Sky Sports or Sports Extra Pass listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or indeed go to 96FM.ie the lads this morning Casey and Ross were talking about Now TV and how it works I bought a little gadget uh, about a year and a bit ago now it's a tiny little stick, like a, like a memory stick, and it goes into the side of the telly and it does the whole Now TV thing for you, and it's brilliant. Absolutely great. 1850-715-996. Few more comments held over. I will get to them, particularly with regard to Mark, who was quite impressive in our first hour this morning to do with obesity and his own dealings and battle with obesity on today, which is World Obesity Day. 1850-715-996. Now, after lockdown, sadly, a lot of people won't have a job to go back to. 
that their original job may be gone because the business will have closed and sadly so many businesses that are presently closed temporarily, well that'll be a permanent close for all too many people. We think straight away of Debenhams and we think straight away of other retail workers in particular who will have no job to go back to when all of this ends and other people who may be forced to repurpose themselves, uh, reinvent themselves, find something new to do and put yourself into the position of someone who's been doing a job for quite some time and had been doing that job for years coming into the lockdown, coming into the pandemic and they know even now that when the pandemic is over, they're going to have to reinvent and they're going to have to find something new to do because they've got the job they had is gone. And they've got to move on and, and, and they don't know the first thing about how to do that. Mary Cummins is a career and life coach from careerchanger.ie and she joins me to discuss this on the opinion line. Mary, good morning. Good morning, PJ. There are a lot of people who are sitting there now thinking, okay, I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to diversify. diversify. Should they be preparing now and how can they start? Yes, I would say absolutely, uh, PJ. I mean, there are certainly areas of the market that are, you know, still really hurting. Um, But the recruitment agencies tell us that, you know, things have certainly picked up and that there are areas that continue to do well. You know, the pharmaceutical companies, for example, the technological, uh, the fund companies and so forth. So I think it's fair to say that we will see a further increase in opportunities, uh, particularly now, you know, that the the vaccine is being rolled out. So it was the first thing I'd say, PJ, is, you know, that people need to remember that it's the job that was made redundant. You know, so it's important that uh, they they try and depersonalise it as much as possible. But of course, you know, people will go through a whole series uh, of emotions, PJ, when that happens to them, you know, the, the, the shock uh, of losing your job, the, the denial, perhaps, disbelief, anger, you know, even depression um, at, at the huge loss. But obviously, the best place to be, uh, PJ, um, is to, 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 to reach a place of acceptance. OK, mm. so this has happened to me now. How can I move forward? Uh, and of course, you know, People have so many skills and strengths and competencies that they will be bringing with them from their previous work. And it's always important to remember, PJ, attitude, having the right attitude is so important. You know, a positive mindset that will, you know, ensure that you, you know, remain alert to the opportunities and the possibilities that do exist. I suppose if you've been working, I mentioned Debenhams there in the introduction, but other people who've who've lost jobs and will, will continue to lose jobs. If you've been working in the same place, for for 10 or more years that is what you do and is it true i mean is is it is it factual that there are things that are transferable from job to job that you don't even know you've got those skills absolutely pj of course it's true you know so many of our skills um, are transferable you know for example if you have as you said been working in retail in hospitality You know, you have that customer experience. I mean, that's a universal skill and that can be applied to any public facing business or internally also, you know, within a business where you might be required to support other functions. Um, You know, things like leadership, managing people, all of that transfers. 
somebody working as an operator, PJ, you know, they have the ability to follow processes and procedures, to give attention to detail, problem solve, follow instructions. These are all transferable skills, uh, PJ. Well, those you, know, you probably don't even recognise that you've done it so long. You don't recognise it's a skill. It's just, it's just my job. Well, no, it's a skill. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's why it's, it can be good to reach out, you know, because, you know, we're, we often do things um, that we don't even realise, you know, uh, the skill that it requires to do it well. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, I suppose a lot of us have, um, you know, we've become, many of us anyway, have become, you know, better at using technology, for example, uh, over the course of the pandemic. You know, we've become more proficient in holding our meetings on Zoom, making presentations on Zoom and so forth. But absolutely, for sure, it can be difficult to spot your own skills, mm. you know, and that's why it can be good to reach out and ask for help. Yeah, yeah. Is, that, is that where you start? I mean, how do you figure out that list of things that would become a CV? How do you figure out that list of skills that would become a CV? Okay, um, so I suppose it, it's all about, you know, knowing yourself, PJ, and what you have to offer you know, and also knowing what what's in demand in the marketplace, you know, who's employing and so forth. So what I can supply to meet the demand in the market. So it's about knowing yourself and knowing your strengths. So what I use at PJ at careerchanger.ie, I use a, a tool uh, called it's a strength profiling tool. But of course, any tool, PJ, is only as good as how it's used and the discussion that goes hand in hand with that. So it helps to identify, you know, your strengths, the things that you're good at, that you perform well, that energize you, you know. And it also helps to identify, PJ, you know, your learned behaviors, which are the things that you're good at, but perhaps drain you a little bit. Uh, it helps to identify your weaknesses. And of course, we all have them. So it's about, you know, using your strengths to support your weaknesses. And it also identifies, PJ, your unrealized strengths or hidden talents, things, you know, that you don't even know you have. So these, this is like your pot of gold, you know, mm. so areas that you perform well in, but that you don't use as often, perhaps because you just haven't had the opportunity, mm. you know. So whatever job you go into, PJ, it's good if you can get as many of these strengths and unrealized strengths in there. And that's what will help you to uh, find career fulfillment and career satisfaction. Yeah, because people, I guess, look, they're, they're frightened a bit of the moment they're excited for to get out there and and get back to business and whatever it is but they're they're scared to sit down and reinvent themselves in their 30s or in their 40s yeah yeah absolutely no i i mean absolutely it is it is it can be a very scary place to be um but it is about as i said reaching out and getting that support and remembering that skills like you know your ability to work well with others collaborating with others communication leadership agility, you know, embracing change, technology, critical thinking, these are all really valuable skills and they do transfer from one sector to the next, you know. Mm. So it's important, Peter, to always focus on what you can do, you know. That's where the focus needs to be. Okay. And then you've got to write the CV and again, where do I even... I mean, if someone said to me tomorrow uh, to, to, uh, to, to write a CV, Mary... God yeah. Almighty, I'd sit in front of a screen for a day and a half. <laughs> I'd write me name and date of birth, and that's it? Yeah, well, you might want to leave out the date of birth now, PJ. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, well, yeah, that's, that's not really necessary, you know. Okay, um, but, there but, you see, but, that's how much I don't know. 
Yeah, but look, um, I suppose think of your CV as your brochure, uh, as your brochure. You're, you're marketing yourself literally, PJ. You know, so I mean, look, now that you have, you know what your skills are. We've gone through that process. You know what your skills are. You know what your strengths are. You know what what your unique selling points are. The things that differentiate you from other people on the market. You know, and you must remember, PJ, that a busy manager. You know, they might take as little as five seconds. Um, yeah. You know, so you need to get the really important information up front, you know. So that's why it's very nice. Well, obviously, you'll start with your, you know, your personal details, your contact details. But it's always nice to start with, you know, a kind of a career profile, you know, which is a summary, uh, PJ, of your key skills and achievements. You know, that's that's really nice way, you know, of starting, you know, emphasizing again your key skills and achievements. Um, it's almost like your elevator pitch at interview, you know, your a summary of your relevant background, key qualifications, any systems experience, for example, and also like your career goals, you know. And of course, other things that you would include uh, in your CV, obviously, uh, PJ, you know, your work record, you know, starting with your most recent and working back, your education and training, your interests, you know, people, you know, employers want to know. How long should a CV be? Well, I recommend a two-page CV, uh, PJ. It's not a deal breaker if you go on to a third, you know, depending on on your, uh, I suppose, the, the length of your career. But my preference would be a two-page CV, you know, a nice format. Bullet points, actually, PJ, can be a very nice way of, you know, getting information across succinctly, yeah. you know, but nicely laid out, always doing your spelling and grammar check and always indicating that you have references available as well, you know, that can be presented on request. Well, well here's hoping that there's advice and support there for people and from you they'll get it at careerchanger.ie Mary. That's it PJ uh, and uh, yeah absolutely there is help available so feel free to reach out and get help uh, with regard to spotting your strengths and your skills and how you can transfer those uh, into another job and another sector. Okay, thank you Mary for that. That's Mary Cummins uh, career life coach at careerchanger Changer. Dot IE. Start preparing now because you may want to do it uh, and you may need to do it. And now that you've got some time in your hands through lockdown and you're at home and you have more time than you'd like, maybe now's the time to start. 1850 On the protest Saturday, which the organisers, again, we hear there in the news at 11 o'clock, they insist that it's going to be a family event and a peaceful event. How can they say it's going to be a family event when we're in lockdown? That'll tell you now how ridiculous it all is. And again, it's worth stressing. It is an illegal gathering in the course of Level 5. It would be different. Well, it would be. would it be different if we were in Level 3? No, it wouldn't actually. It would be, but whatever. Whether we were or we weren't. It's an illegal gathering planned for Saturday. Brian then tweets, why Why all the negativity? Are they predicting a riot? Bit of a scare tactic for a peaceful protest, referring to Ono Sullivan from the Business Association asking people to stay at home and asking people to not get involved because if there's a major gathering in the city centre, who's to know it won't drive up our COVID numbers? I can't argue with him for a second. And as for Brian saying, bit of a scare tactic are they predicting a riot? We saw what happened in Dublin on Saturday. 
And we know if you follow social media and you track social media, you'll find that there is a little rump out there determined to get into Cork on Saturday afternoon and determined to make themselves heard on Saturday afternoon. And shall we just say that I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up, I hope to God we don't, but I wouldn't be remotely surprised if we ended up with something similar to what happened in Dublin. Would I go in there? Not if you gave me the lottery numbers. 1850 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The drama is sensational. That's 80. Oh, he's done it. It's an equaliser. It's stoppage time. And it's all right here. Grealish for seven. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. This Saturday, it's Burnley versus Arsenal at 12.30. Sheffield United versus Southampton at 3. Aston Villa versus Wolves at 5.30. And Brighton versus Leicester City at 8.00. The Premier League Live online. With Now TV. Stream live Premier League action with a Now TV, Sky Sports or Sports Extra Pass. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833. 96 96 96 on Quartz 96FM As I mentioned going into the break there the fact that if you gave me the lottery numbers I wouldn't go into this protest in Cork on Saturday afternoon reminded me of a story I had it in my hand yesterday to, to can you imagine how you'd feel if you were that couple in the UK who got the numbers in the Euro Millions that would win them 210 million euro. They're two students. They've been playing the winning numbers for a few weeks and then their numbers came up in the draw on Friday. 210 million euro richer. Well, well, no, actually, because they were using an app or that kind of thing to buy their lottery ticket. And of course, you have to keep money in the account, you know where this is going, and there was no money in the account. So the night of the draw, when she went to choose the numbers, there was no money there. So the ticket didn't get bought, and they missed out on the 210 million. Wouldn't you feel for them? Wouldn't you really feel for them? 185715996. One of the most famous sports clubs, not just boxing clubs, but one of the most famous sports club sports clubs in all of Cork's sporting history is Sunnyside. And it's a club that has produced giants, a number of Olympians and Irish champions, and great people like Paul Budimer and Michael Roach, and of course the late great Audie Murphy was a coach at Sunnyside. Now, their little venue is falling down. It's tumbled down. It's in bad, bad nick. But at the moment, the members of the club said they're prepared to stand their ground to prevent it being demolished. It's been earmarked uh, as part of a plan to develop three houses in the area there between 
St. Mary's Road and, and Gerald Griffin Street out in Blackpool. And the little house is, is set for demolition as part of it. And the members of the club have said, no, that's our clubhouse, that's our legacy, that's where we want to be, that's where we always have been, let's do it up and keep it. Use the opportunity, raise some money, do it up. And they're determined to fight this idea of their little place being demolished. And given the history of Sunnyside, and given the people that have come out of it, and the tradition of Sunnyside Boxing Club in Blackpool, and the number of kids that have just gone through it and learned the skill of boxing and made lifelong friends, some of them were successful, some of them just did it for a hobby, some of them did it for a while and forgot about it. But they went through the club, and it was the part of their young lives that they took with them throughout the rest of their life and their own kids some children, some people sent their own kids back to Sunnyside after they had been there as youngsters themselves so you can see why they want to fight to keep the club in the place that it is Fiona Corcoran has been to see the club to meet some members and to get their story Oh, my brother's box. My brother boxed two Olympics. Uh, Los Angeles and Seoul. And I just continued on. I started boxing in 1977. And I came into this club as a seven-year-old. And I always remember it. It's just, you know, you get the feeling of a boxing club in there, you know. This boxing club is only a small room. But the atmosphere in there is unbelievable. Gordon Joyce is one of the many boxers to have come through the Sunnyside Boxing Club. Now a coach, he wants to give other children the same opportunities. Oh, well, what I want to do is put back into what I got out of I remember coming there as a child. I have children coming into me now. And I try to do the same thing and still what I got from the boxing like there's fierce discipline in boxing you know if you're told stop you'll stop if you're told box you'll box if you're told run you'll run the discipline in boxing is unbelievable the, like since this lockdown since the Covid like you, all kids are ringing us they're saying when are we going back boxing I'm telling them to train at home and stuff like that but they still want to get down to the club you know but the future of the club hangs in the balance because the premises they've used for years is set to be demolished and there are plans to build houses on the site club member Jim Corbett has been telling me about how they found out there was a sign on being erected on the clubhouse from uh, Cox City Council where there were Going looking for an all of so to get the property vested in themselves. Now, at that time, we sent in a few stiff letters to the council complaining about the situation because the club had been here so long and nobody had approached the club or anything. Now, the council since then did get a vesting order on the property, which means that they would have deeds now for the property. And the next thing we have seen here is a sign go up from a guy down on West Cork that he wants plenty of permission here for three dwelling houses. In a statement, Cork City Council has confirmed that the property at Straw Hall, Gerald Griffin Street, has been passed through the derelict sites process and the compulsory acquisition process and no objections were made. The City Council commenced these processes following prolonged discussions with the trustees of Griffin United Harriers Club, the owners of the property. The trustees of the Harriers Club confirmed they had signed the contract for the sale of the property with a person from West Cork subject to the City Council assisting in the perfection of the title. But Sunnyside Club member Ted Deneen feels they should have been consulted. It was originally given to the people by the people. It was built in Commonage and, you know, the Harrier Club left. Then Sunnyside were there on their own. The new Harrier Club started elsewhere and uh, the council never approached us to give title or, or, or these to 
a proposed builder like that and we didn't get a look in and uh, we'll stand your ground. The property at Straw Hall is in need of repair and the club has been using a temporary premises but member Jim Corbett says they need something more permanent. To be jeopardy because they will financially be okay now to develop this place because they have the four walls and a roof but like to start off from a green field site no chance whatsoever. So these could be gone yet because they're already on a, living on a prayer's wing a prayer on a wing now at the moment of the because of where they are and they must have some place where a ring can be put in there permanently. You can't, a box ring is a big thing. You can't be erecting that and taking it out at night time. Like where they are at the moment, there's other, there's other clubs there using that place, different sporting clubs. So, so this club here would be spot on for that. Like. Richie says, hi PJ, I don't get why you're giving the anti-lockdown protest so much negative coverage. Businesses and people are at their wits end and they're sick of being told to do one thing by the government all while that same government won't enforce strict measures for non-essential foreign travellers. Richie, you're, you're right about the won't enforce the strict enough measures but here's the thing, when I was small my mother used to say to me, why are you doing that? And I would say, because he did it. And she would say, well, if he went and jumped in the lock, would you go in after him? You don't have to do something just because some other Egypt does it. And the businesses, yes, are struggling, but the business association, the clue is in the title, is saying, please don't go in. Andrew in Blackpool, on the subject of that march and the possibility of violence, fear not. We will not have those disgusting scenes we witnessed last Saturday in Dublin. I do think Andrew's tongue is firmly in his cheek. None of us want those scenes. God almighty, we do not want those scenes. But I've just passed Collins Barracks, says Andrew. I saw several units of our army filling water guns with some good old Tanora from Peggy Toomey's and holy water from the North Chapel. God is good, as they say. Tongue very much in cheek. Fair play. All right, it's a fabulous idea for... International Women's Day, which is Monday, and we will be celebrating it on the programme, speaking to some inspirational women, including one woman who is celebrating her first International Women's Day at the age of 49. Figure that one out. She's celebrating her first International Women's Day at the age of 49. More about that after the weekend. But these new hair clips have come out recognising Vicky, Vicky, Vicky Phelan, Countess Markovitz, Mary Robinson, Mother Jones, that'd be my favourite one, that and, and, and Vicky Phelan, and Gronywell. And they are the, they're just a wonderful new idea. Neave O'D, good morning to you. Hello. Where, where did <laughs> the idea so come from? Um, the idea came um, about four years ago now. I had my um, daughter. Um, she was a little baby. And I remember this particular moment where um, I met somebody and she was dressed in all kind of pinky clothes, you know, quite girly clothes. She was a baby, so, you know, you can't really tell what gender they are. Um, and um, someone I know spoke to her and said, oh, aren't you so pretty? And, you know, said very sweet things like that. And the next day, the same person, who obviously didn't remember, met her again when she was wearing um, more, I guess, more masculine clothes. It was blue and there was dogs on them. And that person was saying, what are you going to be when you grow up? So I realised, you know, what I would dress her in and how, how she's um, kind of shown starts the conversations that people are having with her. So 
if that's what's going to start the conversations, let's start some really amazing conversations. So that's where the idea came from. I thought, well, why not have really incredible women um, that I want, you know, to be part of, you know, what's being spoken about around her mm. on her head. And this is your you second know, collection, isn't it? This is the second collection, yeah. So the first collection, um, it was myself and um, Lisa, who actually has a daughter the exact same age, born on the exact same day um, as my daughter. Um, we um, teamed up together and decided to make the first set just kind of as a bit of a laugh. Some, we knew that we, our own daughters would wear them, so that was kind of enough. When we got them, when we finally figured out how to make them and get them um, made, we were like, well, let's sell a few of them. Um, the first collection has Frida, of course, uh, Rosa Parks, um, Valentina, who was the first woman in space, Kamala, obviously, and Greta. Mm. Um, and we put them up on shopinireland.ie. And, this, you know, this it's a Facebook group. Yeah. And we went to bed, and the next morning we woke up, and it had sold out, and there was 200 people <laughs> asking wow. for more. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So, so, so you've, uh, that was just before Christmas. You've so got these out of, now for next week, is it? So these are out for next week. Um, the, the Irish women, which we're just thrilled with. Um, we um, asked Vicky Phelan if she would allow us to use her image, you know, because we, we didn't want her to be walking around seeing people with pictures of her in her hair. Um, and she was really excited about us. Um, we always uh, donate a percentage to um, a charity or a not-for-profit. Not for so we asked her what the not-for-profit um, she would choose would be. And it's this incredible, um, the Shona Project, which is a beautiful um, initiative that um, aims to kind of empower young girls that are and young women that are in school by giving them classes about, you know, empowerment and um, kind of learning who they are and the great things about themselves. Yeah. So uh, 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 a nice kind of um, balance to what they might be seeing on social media. So for each purchase, there'll be a, a donation? For each pur- purchase, we're donating one euro and we're also allowing um, the the buyer to, don- to match that donation. Everyone who matches it before St. Patrick's Day are going to get a little gift which we can't tell you about now because it's a big surprise, but it's going to be um, on Paddy's Day. We're hoping that Vicky Phelan's going to be getting a nice little surprise, basically. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> I, I'm, I, Vicky Phelan, obviously, I'm, I'm impressed uh, with your inclusion of Mother Jones, who I think very few people had heard about 10 years ago. Yeah. But now we look, what a woman, Mary Harris from Cork, what once once woman. described as the most dangerous woman in America. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a woman. And of course, you know, she had her, and um, been called Mother Jones, but she lost all her children, which is quite, you know, sad. Um, and kind of became a mother to all, all the children yeah. in, in America. But, she um, kind of became the spiritual the, mother of all the poor children of America. That's it, yeah, all the working children. Yeah. And of course, minors, minors with an E and minors with an O. Um, she became, you know, an incredible advocate for basically for the working people and working conditions. But we weren't sure about including her. Um, and we kind of ummed and awed and we realized nobody recognized her and we realized a lot of people didn't even know the story. But we said, you know what, it's just such a lovely story and she looks like a granny yeah. and, you know, maybe it'll work because... The whole point of these stories is to get the kids engaged in them, not the adults. We're not trying to... We want these lovely stories that the kids want to talk about yeah. and that they want to tell the grannies and their teachers and their friends. Yeah, well, I, I'm um, so I'm so pleased that you decided to include Mother Jones because she'd become a, a personal heroine of mine in terms of standing, exactly. up for, standing up for the oppressed and standing up for the small guy. 
And she's really capturing the imagination of the kids as well. She's yeah. been fantastic. She's my girl's favourite. She's Lisa's. She's great. She's um, great. Daughter's favourite, yeah. So where can people is, find yeah. out more and where can people buy some? You can find us on thewonderkind.com. Okay, the wonderkind, W-N-D-E-R-K-I-N-D.com. That's it. Good luck yep. with it, Neve. Good luck with it. Thanks very much for the being with us today on the Opinion Line. That's Neve O'D and the Wonderkind. 1850-715-996. Where are we going? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Monday we will be featuring some inspirational women on the programme. And I have a little idea as well. I'll Don't worry, Terry, I'll talk to you about it afterwards. I have a little idea how we might um, get you involved on Monday throughout the programme. Just a little small idea, fulminating as it were in the back of my head. Some story breaking here at the Echo. Remember a few weeks back, it's, it's, I think it's before Christmas. It is, I think, or else it's very early in the new year. We featured a, a campaign to bring a Lido to Cork. A wapi. A Lido. An outdoor swimming pool. Like Lee Bats for the 21st century and we spoke to the man behind the idea that you'd put an outdoor swimming pool properly of course modern equipped and modernly equipped and all that and you'd build it and people would come and it would be great you might even warm it up a little bit in the winter but you'd have outdoor swimming in Cork City all year round in our very own Lido well there's some great news this morning coming out through the Echo that a meeting is to be held now in about a fortnight's time between City Hall and a seven-person committee spearheading the campaign. Isn't that good news? So that's just another little little push towards getting us a Lido. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See motors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. The TV shows, movies and songs you grew up on. We're testing your memory banks. Take the throwback Thursday quiz and I'll race you through your afternoon with all your favourite tunes from the biggest artists from midday on Cork's 96 FM. Coming into springtime. Started officially Monday. That argument is over. Not having it again. Until next time. But coming in to springtime, something you might like to do as the weather improves, as it will, it already has this week. Forecast for the weekend isn't the May West, and next year, next week is looking a bit dreary. But the second half of the month might be all right, we hope. But anyway, it's springtime. And as we head into springtime, a lot of people's thoughts focus on the garden. And in these lockdown times, people whose thoughts never focused on the garden before are starting to focus on it for the sake of something to do and something to stop you going mad. Which has prompted a new course, a spring gardening course from Cork County Council, which is a cracker of an idea. It's all being put together by Aoife Nunn, who's a horticulturalist and joins me now. Hi Aoife. Hi, how are you? It's Aoife Munn, actually. Munn, I beg your pardon. I <laughs> no beg problem. your pardon, Munn. No problem. So, it is a thing that like, some people are are interested in the garden anyway. My, my wife loves spending time in her garden once the weather improves. But for other people, it's a, a chance to avoid them putting their head through the kitchen wall to get out and do something. So, it's a very well-timed course. 
It is indeed. We're delighted that uh, Cork County Council and particularly the Heritage Unit have come and decided to fund this for people in the Cork area. It is a course that is very practical in nature. So it is, as you say, about getting out into nature. So you might think, well, it's all about Zoom these days, but you will not have a clean hand by the end of the course. It's all soil at hand. We're going to be sowing seeds, pricking out seedlings, uh, moving them on and looking at our soil health and everything in the garden. So it is hugely practical, even though it's over Zoom. And as you said, we're hoping that it will have huge benefits to people from a grow your own point of view of growing your own food from growing pollinator plants for our pollinators and also from the point of view of people's mental health because we've all had a really difficult time with COVID and we know that. Yeah, just last Sunday afternoon when the when the sun came out properly for the first time this year I, I sat out the back and I, I looked I looked across the little garden and I thought oh my God, there's so much to do here. Yeah, that's the difference between us, maybe. Um, I look out and I go, oh, great, there's so much to do. It's so lovely. I think that's something that we have to focus on, that don't worry uh, what your garden looks like. I just moved into a new place, and I think you'd laugh if you saw the state of my garden. But that's a positive. That's things to do. It's enjoyable. We want people out in the fresh air. And I think also, don't we do this thing where we put pressure on ourselves for no reason, where it's as if there's a race. You know, um, we don't have to get the garden done quickly. We can just do it correctly. So we're going to be looking at things like planting for pollinators. So if your emphasis is growing food, that's brilliant. But by putting things like wildflowers in the garden as well, we'll actually increase our yield from uh, fruits and, and vegetables in the garden because we have more pollinators in our gardens. And that's what we want to focus on. We want to get people enjoying the garden more. Mm. And when you plant more in your garden and you have more wildlife visitors to it, I think you're your enjoyment of the garden is so heightened by that. You that know, that's and become a thing really in, in the last number of years, Aoife, that you, the, the pollinators and, and the wildflowers, particularly in, in, in the back garden, you, you know, you would plant a nice lawn, mow it, keep it tidy, keep it short, keep it clean and spick and span. Now you're encouraged to actually let it grow or better again, cordon off a corner of it that you never actually cut Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you, there's lots of ways of creating a wildfire area and some of it are just simply by not cutting. And others are that you can get wildfire seed and sow them in and there's advantages and disadvantages to both, you know. Um, but there's, they're all good for pollinators, basically. And, and yeah. do, like pollinators, do pollinators not come to the window boxes and the flower baskets anyway? No, not necessarily. It depends what's in them. So a lot of the flowers, if you go to a garden centre, there's lots of things advertising beautiful big double flowers. But actually, they're no good for pollinators at all. They don't, the pollinators can't get into them. Most bedding plants, now there's a few that are good for pollinators, but most bedding plants have no value. Daffodils, tulips, no value for pollinators. Yeah, yeah. So we want to look at what is good. So a lot of the things that we've moved towards, a lot of the things that they're emphasised in the garden centre is that, wow, look at this with the big double flowers. They're no good. So we want to move back towards some more beautiful flowers that really are good for pollinators. Just focus on that for a second. The the humble (laughs) daffodil, which, which, you know, I know little or nothing about flowers, but but I do know this. I I love daffodils. Just they, they signify the arrival of the new spring and, and, and all of that. Mm. They're useless for pollinators. Yeah, yeah. Crikey. Crocuses are way better and crocuses are so much more beautiful anyway. So crocuses are fantastic for, for so we're getting um, a lot of the communities now are 
planting different bulbs that are better for pollinators. So the ones that would be popular now are snowdrops, crocuses, alliums. And, you know, they're all just, it's great to see more diversity coming into it as well, you know, to have more different plants out in the garden. And we're hoping that we're going to encourage people to do things like wildflower areas. And then you get all my favourites, which are like cornflowers and poppies and all those beautiful traditional wildflowers are really nice. And these The are ones that grew in grow. meadows and you looked in over the ditch yeah. and people said, that's... <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> You're going to cringe now when I tell you. You See, there's a whole generation would have said, cut them weeds. Yeah, yeah, but the world's changing now, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I think that voice is is quietening down and people are really starting to love it. Um, So I've just moved house, but my last place, there was, um, I sowed... so many things in salon that when you tried to read a book, the bees were so loud it was hard to concentrate. And I'm not exaggerating. The clover, the lawn was full of clover. And mm. the sound of the bees uh, buzzing would, would distract you, you know. And I think that's fantastic. I think people are looking for that. I think they're looking for that sense of relaxation and enjoyment and interaction with the garden. I think before it was like a chore. You have to go out, you have to cut the grass, you have to have it neat, you have to have it tidy. What if someone thought? Whereas now it's much more about, oh, I'm going to go spend an hour in the garden. Whatever you get done, whether it's a little or a lot, it doesn't matter. It's that time spent in the garden and that we're starting to value that and realise how important it is for our health. So it's not just about the biodiversity, it's also about you and me and what we get from it. You're also very much against using any kind of pesticide or, or weed killer to trim yeah. and, to, and, and to tend our lawns. Yeah, you know, in my lifetime, now that's you and me, PJ, one third of insects have disappeared. That's us. That's not somebody else. They can't point any fingers at that. And that's from the use of chemicals. It's having a hugely detrimental effect on the wildlife. And people often say to me, now I only use the weed killer on the patio and I checked there was no insects there when I sprayed it. And they think that's okay, but the problem is that every patio has a drain. And where does that drain go? Your nearest waterway. And the single worst place that you could send those chemicals is your nearest waterway. That's the lifeblood for all wildlife. So we have to move away from it. And then from a personal point of view, in America there's lawsuits against companies with these chemicals because people have got cancer from it. And here we are popping out to Woody's to buy them. And most of the time, I've seen people use them without even any masks or anything on. Now, you yeah, know, but the only thing is, Eva, like, I, I, I know you probably think differently, but a, guard, a garden path without weeds yeah. growing up through the cracks. Yeah, I'm not, oh no, like, I don't want weeds through my garden path. Absolutely not. I, I'm not saying don't remove the weeds. Right. I'm saying right. don't use a chemical that gives you cancer because proportioned, like... You know, is it worth getting cancer for, first of all? And secondly, is it is it worth annihilating wildlife? Yeah. You know, so it, it's about a proportionate response to it. I'm not saying don't remove the weeds in the patio. I am most certainly removing the weeds from my patio. Um, but I'm pulling them by hand early before they set seed is the first thing. Secondly, um, as I said, I just moved into a new place and the weeds were taller than me. And I'm not exaggerating. So I got some old cardboard and I covered the top layer, which I was starting with. And I covered that over with the cardboard and let everything die down for a couple of weeks. And then I removed the cardboard and I just forked the area over, which meant that when I reached in to pull the weeds, they didn't resist. They were all loose in the soil. Ah, and trick of then the trade, I removed, as it were. Yeah, yeah. And then I removed them. But there's another really important trick. This is what people say to me. Well, I cleared that area last year. And would you look at it now? And I say, the problem is pick a small area. 
weed it, remove the weeds and plant something else you like in its place and then move on to the next area and weed it. But if I was to pick a huge stretch, say, along a bank somewhere and weed the start of it and then keep moving along and don't plant anything until I finished weeding, by the time I got back to the start, the weeds would be back. You have to outsmart them, do you know? And I don't want a net garden full of weeds. I'm a horse coach, that's, that's what would anybody think? That's very interesting, though. <laughs> That they'll, they'll, yeah. they'll grow back if the ground is untended, but if you put something in, something else in, they won't. Yeah, then they then they have something to compete with, so it's much harder for them to come back. Oh, so you put in some plants for ground cover. Something that you like the look Colin, of. Colin, the phone know. here, Aoife, says, what about yeah. using salt and vinegar as a weed killer? Yeah, right. So salt, absolutely not. It's really bad for, it'll kill off loads of other plants as well, so it's not what you want, right? And it's bad for the soil. We really don't want to be doing that. And the vinegar, now the vinegar has less um, negative effects than the salt but again what a lot of people do is they make up 20% vinegar to um, 80% water and use that as a spray and it doesn't really affect wildlife as badly but okay. it isn't great for your soil long term so it's one of those things that if you were doing it temporarily once or twice it might not be as bad but pulling the weeds is more effective do you know that one of the councils beside me went chemical free now, a whole council right in a rather affluent area of Dublin that would expect their, they would expect their weeds to be disappeared and they said they're never going back and they don't look back. An entire council. And what they said is they got in these big machines that had foam and they got in different ones that did different things that steamed the weeds, nothing, no chemicals. And they found that pulling the weeds early in the season before they set seed was the most effective. And also talking to community groups and making everyone be part of it. So look, if you're walking along and there's weeds in the footpath, pull out the one outside your own doorstep. Just remove those few. And if we all work together, then being chemical free is easy. And you know what? It's good for us. I think as well, I was talking to a friend of mine who runs Living Nightly in Ireland, a fabulous website about reducing waste. And I was writing a talk and I was kind of stuck, you know, the way you get. And I said, what will I say? And she said, you and me. She said, the benefits you get from being more sustainable is the people you meet and the interactions with your community. And whether you're out on the street pulling a few weeds or joining your tidy towns for a planting session, the real, real benefactors are us. It's those of us who join in. We actually get so much more than we ever gave from it. So I think that's good for people to remember too. Finally and briefly, how do we find and get our place on this course? Oh, that's a good question. I think you'll have to put that up on your website afterwards because I'm not dealing with the login for it. Um, Colin Elligan, who is the um, heritage um, officer for Cork County Council, is the one dealing with that. And they've been putting up the advertisements. So um, I'm sure if you check out the Cork website, the yeah. Facebook page, We've got one well, here, actually. it'll Cork. all be up there. Yeah. There's, an email adre- there's an email address as well. I'm going to leave it there for now. Stay talking all day about gardens and weeds and flowers and all of that. But thank you, Aoife. Aoife Mon, who is a horticulturalist. Cork heritage at corkcoco.ie cork heritage cork.heritage at corkcoco.ie Sean says for the love of God by the time she's finished all we'll do with weeds is shout at them and hope they'll go away <laughs> I'm sorry I do like that the programme enters in by Terry Brennan produced and researched by Fergal Barry See you tomorrow just after nine. The Opinion Line on Quartz 96 FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.